0: Just King Things is a podcast where we read the books of Stephen King in publication order. As these are largely horror novels, they often deal with complicated and disturbing topics. A list of content warnings is available in the episode description. Howdy, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to Just King Things, the show about reading and talking about the books of Stephen King in publication order. I'm Michael, and bound with me on the wheel of Ka
1: is Cameron. Uh, thank you, say. Here I am on the road. I'm on the path of the beam. Hmm. Do I not intrigue you? You're some
0: sort of Western pirate, I see. No.
1: Uh, you're supposed to yes and, but I'm no budding you. <laughs> L- look at my wide brimmed hat. Uh. Look at my long, long beard. Perhaps my stylish guitar will. Oh no! Show you what I am. <laughs>
0: oh no! The post-apocalyptic sex rockers.
1: It's me, Zz Top himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, I don't have another bit. I don't have another okay. part of the bit. Yeah.
0: Today we're talking about The Wastelands, Dark Tower 3. Uh, yeah, the good one. Yeah, the good one. Uh, and uh, you wouldn't know it from my reaction necessarily, but the the appearance of ZZ Top is one of the highlights of this book. <laughs>
2: Where's ZZ Top been this whole time? That's what I'm wondering. Because this is the first appearance of ZZ Top in the Kingaverse, right? Uh, no. Have we, had, have we had previous
0: Top? We had a ZZ Top on a previous Uncle Stevie's mixtape, I am
2: pretty sure. Hmm. I do not remember which one, though. Me neither. It just feels like ZZ Top is, uh, you know, on like the 18th level of the tower. Uh-huh. They only listen to ZZ Top. it's just the the ultimate dad rock it really is it's very steve yes yes if you told me that stephen king only listened to zz top i would believe it (laughs) because it's just like the the most absurd sex puns Uh and then a two and a half minute guitar solo Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's the weirdness with the hats and like the big fur coats and the beards Right, the the the
0: strange uh a uh, performance of some idea of masculinity.
3: Mhm.
2: <laughs> oh, let me let me go back here. Let me go back into the bit. You you
1: ready? Okay, yeah. Uh, you look like a pube. <laughs> I see you coming down the road. You're a pube. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps know. perhaps you have a different colored hat and or bandana on. The gray. Are you are you blue or are you yellow? Are we in New York or Missouri? It's hard to tell. Or in Paris, France? Did you notice that the river's named the Singe? but it could be the Sin. <laughs> That's true. How about that? <laughs> I'm being killed by toxic gas. Blah, 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 blah.
0: Oh man, we'll talk about that, but. <laughs> The big surprise for me on this reread of this book uh was just how much the entire back third of uh the whole thing is quite literally the inspiration for portal.
2: Uh okay, we'll talk about that. Yeah. I mean, it is it is kind of a rude machine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, I said this before. In uh maybe last part in in some recent I almost said partisode, in, uh, in some <laughs> recent Just King Things episode, I said, this is a book where three things happen. Or three things happen. Uh-huh. And I'm going to revise that. Four things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it really, it really is a book where, for the uh, nearly 600 pages in my copy of the book, mm-hmm. very few things actually occur. Which is astonishing. It's astonishing yeah. you can get away with that.
0: Yeah, it, it's astonishing, and it's very odd because the whole book actually feels like two books. Like, mm-hmm. you could have had, like, two paperback originals that were published just, like, a few months apart. Uh, like Just the whole thing is strange. I mean, the, the Dark Tower in general, right, conceptually, like, what it is, the longest popular novel in history or whatever, uh, is strange. Um but this one in particular is strange for what, the reasons you're saying. One, it's pretty long, but very little happens. What I said, it's it's long enough and sort of like structured such that you could actually split it into two books and lose nothing. Like there's there's like a very clean break point right in mm-hmm. the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of three, uh, this is also like like. I, It's kind of a retcon of the previous two books in that this is the Dark Tower book where suddenly everything acquires like specific and concrete lore and plot direction in a way that it hasn't had it up until this point. It's really interesting.
2: Oh, yeah. It's it's where uh, literally there's a, a part early in the book where Roland's like, all right, fine. I'll tell you the lore, mm-hmm. just sit around the couch, I'll tell you the stupid lore of this fantasy sci-fi universe, sit down, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> like, it's so belabored, like, he uh-huh. clearly doesn't want to do it, which is funny, because we know that is not Stephen King's impulse as a writer, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. personality-wise, I don't know, although it does seem like he loves to tell a good story. But uh, but writerly wise, the man loves to overexplain things, and there's mm-hmm. nothing that is better or easier to overexplain than shit you made up. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's just like I don't know, there It's like a wheel. There's four parts to it. People get telepathic powers when they have it. Yeah. Sometimes you're able to uh, really supercharge the path of the beam. You're able to see that you travel back and forth between worlds. Of course, the Dark Tower's got many layers to it. Like it just keeps going and going in in on every other page of this novel. Mm-hmm. Uh in and, and against all odds. It sounds like we're complaining. Mm-hmm. Like it, if you just if if you're listening to this and going, "Wow, they said they like this book, but gee golly, you know, they're complaining so much." Yeah, you it does sound like we're complaining, and yet the book works. Mhm. It's yeah. it's a really good I I sat and read this whole book in three sittings. Mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like I, I read 200 pages and then went to bed and read 200 pages and went to bed and then read 200 pages in the middle of the day mm-hmm. and I was done. Like it, it really is going. It's it's kind of an astonishing piece of work in that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've said before on air that this is like my favorite Dark, dark Tower book. Uh, and the, uh, Tark Dower, yeah, Tark Dower. It's, it's um, your
2: uh, <laughs> this is your knockoff universe, a Tark Tower <laughs> with uh, no, it, uh, with Gummo, the 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 water gunslinger, uh
0: huh. <laughs> this Arnold is our Krenn. Mel Brooks
2: version. Uh, Mel Brooks missed this by like 10 years,
0: yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, this is like my favorite Dark Tower book, and having uh reread it now for for the show uh, this is probably one of my top 5 steve books
2: oh wow
0: like Just across the board, like everything in here, I fucking love and it works for me. And uh, like there are things you can you can complain about with this book. Uh, I've read people doing it uh, and I sort of understand why people complain about those things. And at the same time, I do not care because (laughs) all of the things that come together here for me come together so well.
2: Well, I think a primary complaint one can make is it's really not a novel. Like, mm-hmm. it, he's mm-hmm. really leaning into the fact that this is part three of the novel that is The Dark Tower, right? And mm-hmm. that ma- that's what makes for the weird structural thing, right? Like, very little actually occurs, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of, like, uh, it, not even just, like, plotty plot plot stuff, but events that people go through, you know, just stuff that occurs. Uh, there's just not that much stuff. I mean, it's it's four set pieces, and then they're done. Um, and as you're saying, it's really kind of like two novellas kind of crammed together into mm-hmm. one thing. It literally picks up in the middle of some action that really should have been completed in the previous book. Like mm-hmm. the first half of this book should have ended the drawing of the three. Mm hmm. Uh, there should have been a time break, you know, in the book. And then we get all the way up through the Jake stuff, but whatever. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and and then after that there's like the river crossing and LUD stuff, mm-hmm. which which also ends in a I mean, talk about we'll just say it here. This book ends in a cliffhanger. Uh-huh. And it took six years or something for the next book to come out, right? Uh-huh. Was it uh, was it ninety
0: seven? Uh, yeah, ninety seven is Wizard Glass. So that's that's what,
2: five years? Is this is is this ninety one or ninety two? I don't 91, know. Ninety one, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. A cliffhanger. In a popular novel by Stephen king, mm-hmm like it and it's one hell of a cliffhanger <laughs> It, re- i I remember reading this as like a you know as a teenager or whatever or a tween and legit being like, "What the fuck like are you kidding me? They're not gonna find out why i like i i just can't I can't imagine being an adult at the time and not being enraged mm-hmm or, or being like you you've just ended this book and the not just like." The middle of some action, but the middle of substantive action. Wait, it, you know what? Power move. Like, I yeah. respect it. I, You know, <laughs> what, what a thing to do. No one else, I think, would do that. I can't think of any other thing even remotely comparable to this. Mm-hmm. Not even New Dune ends in the middle of action, <laughs> despite being the first half of a, a, a really one film. Here's a hypothetical
0: for you. Please. Uh, this, but written by Neil Stevenson.
2: all of the dark tower written by neil stevenson yeah
0: yeah how how does that end
2: (laughs) (laughs) what's the cliffhanger yeah well to get to this point we would have had a long uh like what would have happened at the beginning of this book is we would have gotten about 85 pages about how to build a gun uh huh. Like, that, like <laughs> yes. they would have, they would have uh, drawn Eddie and Susanna, and they would have come through into you know Midworld and all this kind of stuff, and they would have found out they were one gun short, and they would have very slowly and painfully gone over how you like knock minerals out of of uh, rocks somehow <laughs> using fantasy bullshit, and like slowly but surely build a tube to mm-hmm. make a bullet pass through, and we would have learned about like the fantasy logic of tube magic and uh-huh. like how that goes into the mystical qualities of the gun. There there would be a lot more mechanism. In uh-huh. Body. We, there'd be at least 20 pages about the internal workings of Shardick the bear. Oh mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <But> look, <laughs> I say all that. I'd read it. Yeah. I'd read that book. <laughs> I'm a nerd for it. Oh, <sighs> I like that, uh, that book that everyone hated, Fall, Dodge, and Hell, where the first 125 pages are just about what happens when everyone has an AR headset that is polluted with too much information that's fake about everyone. Like, what happens when you can see too much fake data? It has nothing to do with the rest of the book. Literally not a single thing. I thought that book was great. Oh, Neil. So, yeah. I'm a sucker for it. <sighs> <clears throat> do 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 we want to like uh get into some some mechanism here? You know, uh, be, like, Neil Stevenson-like?
0: Uh uh we we could. Uh just some like other notes about this, mm-hmm. uh like mm-hmm. this this particular volume, The Dark Tower.
3: Sure.
0: Um uh as previously mentioned, it was published in nineteen ninety-one by Donald M. Grant, the uh, uh small sort of boutique publisher who published uh both of the previous Dark Tower books. Um I think, uh, uniquely, uh, so, so, uh, Grant publishes, uh, a limited 1,200, uh, signed editions, signed and numbered in slipcase, um, the trade hardcover is 40k, uh, oh, illustrations by Ned Dameron, by the way, I don't think we talked much about the illustrations in the previous two books, but, uh, one thing you should know about all the Dark Tower books is that they get illustrations in their first publication,
2: um. Oh, even the gunsling? Uh, yeah. Oh,
3: huh. yeah. Uh, oh, that's t-
2: right. They're like, but they're black and white. They're like wood woodcut looking. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Uh,
0: so anyway, uh, yeah, Donald and Grant publishes those in, uh, or publishes this, um, in August 1991, and this is just a few months before Stephen King's second 1991 book, Needful Things, is published mass market, and I think that. Uh, the turnaround on the wastelands from hardcover to like mass market paperback is much faster than it has been for the previous ones because I know the gunsling like the gunslinger was several years. Uh, I yeah. think uh, drawing of the three was also not not as many years, but I think it took a couple years from uh, the limited edition thing to mass market. Uh, and here I think uh, Steve has kind of hit the point where he can. Uh, basically, call the shots to the extent that he can't. He can uh, have his small press run of his like special little book, but then also do the mass market thing. Um, just a few months short shortly after that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting tipping point, right? Because by and I've already d- pre done some research about the Dark Tower four. That's this is that's really the flip point where uh, it goes from Stephen King's little fantasy novels he's writing to Stephen King's masterwork. Um, You can clearly see in like 96, 97 where that's being laundered, like into the narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, because I was looking for reviews of this book, which I can read from in just just a minute. Uh, And overwhelmingly what shows up are like uh, uh, truly like 90s newspaper, like explainers, like here's Uh what you need to know about Stephen King's, uh, you know, the Dark Tower novels, if you haven't read them so far. So, the the Dark Tower 4 is, is where that, like, really hypercharges. But, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, th- this got reviews in all, of like, the kind of major, um, like, I, I found Kirkus reviews in the library journal. I'll read those in a, in a minute. But I couldn't really find those for the the previous books. So, you mm-hmm. know, the, these were meant for mass distribution, you know, pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that that's just kind of the, I think, the thing to note is that this is also indexing a kind of uh, car- career shift makes it sound like Steve has kind of turned in a different direction, but that's not quite right. It's more just uh, uh, Steve be- has become more established is, I-, I guess, how I would put it, right?
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, I guess, to think about, and we'll talk about this maybe in the Needful Things episode more extensively, but I I think that's right. I think it is a career shift because... Over the next decade, the thing that will dominate Stephen King's reputation is the Dark Tower. Mm, mm-hmm. And Castle Rock is ending, mm-hmm. right? Like, it literally is a phase shift in terms of what the focus is. Uh, and frankly, what kind of novels he's writing. You know, is there anything as bleak as needful things that's coming down the pipe? You know, I'm having a hard time thinking of, of something that's that kind of, you know, 80s king. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to get all the novels about women. We're yeah. gonna get the saccharine hellscape that is the Green Mile. Uh huh. You know there, there, there's, there's, I, you know, so I think you're right. I, I think there it is a a shift in in the direction, and we're seeing the like beginning of it. We're seeing the the beginning of the turn. But I really do think closing the door on Castle Rock is a is a pretty big move. Hmm. Yeah. And also Stephen King's kind of fall from grace in some ways, right? Like none of these mm-hmm. books the over the next decade none of these books are going to hit the numbers that it did.
0: Um, yeah, there is a kind of... I mean, we talked about 90s King way back in the the Dark Half episode, but really, this is where we're hitting 90s King. This and, like, Needful Things, even though that's a very 80s book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, the the... Because I think there was there was, you know, Stephen King in the 80s was the new hotness, or maybe in the late 70s. He was the new hotness in the 80s. He was this phenomenon, a juggernaut, whatever. And just by the 90s, he's Stephen King.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and also he's competing with, uh, you know, think about the other names that are really like up there with Stephen King at this point. He's, we've talked about this before, right? But he broke the horror market, right? Like uh-huh. Stephen King comes along and with another small cohort of people, they invent the horror, the, the mass market fiction horror market. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot going on in that, the exorcist. We've talked about that in previous episodes, but in terms of like a horror writer who releases books that immediately go to the top of the New York times bestseller list, right? King does that. You know, mm-hmm. King as an entity, as a kind of business fiction, makes that happen. Um, but now, as you know, as you're saying, right, uh, we got Tom Clancy in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Crichton is mm-hmm. e- even more ascendant, right? He's you know because his career parallels King for the most part. But the kind of techno thriller is mm-hmm. now at the the tippy top, right? We're about to have Jurassic Park, um, yeah. you know, the 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 film, uh, which kind of supercharges all that stuff, and then. Um, Grisham. Uh, uh, yeah, John. Yeah, exactly. That we talked about what in the last. Uh, yeah. Last episode. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, uh, uh, you know, about John Grisham kind of weirdly showing up in the book. Yeah. John Grisham is dominating right now. I mean, the firm is out uh-huh. uh, by this point. Um, and so and and John Grisham. You know, for people who don't know, I, I, we would never, ever do the John Grisham show. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's likely. And that would uh, have to be the title. It would just be the John Grisham show. John, We're talking about John Grisham. But <laughs> uh, but the thing that's notable about John Grisham, that I didn't really know until I watched those videos of them talking to one another and I did some reading up on John Grisham that John Grisham with his first few books is blowing through records in the same way that Stephen King did. But he's blowing through records for Hollywood options. You know, Mm. I think The the Firm is the book that is sold for, uh, is optioned for a huge amount of money even before the book is out. You Mm. know, it it is that kind of uh, tie-in with uh, Hollywood that King sets sets some some parts of, right? But Stephen King's not doing anything like that. You know, The the Mm -hmm. Wastelands was not optioned for a film. Or Needful Things is not optioned for a film before it comes out. Um, And... I'm sure in some of the bonus notes we'll get into this, but this is also the moment of the kind of closing of a certain type of American independent cinema, you know, the De Mm Laurentis or Corman, you know, Corman's kind of done by this point, but uh, that kind of model of independent studio systems who work all these deals out. And we are now entering into the era of slow consolidation um, uh, of the American film industry, which I think actually has a pretty big effect on King, you know, the, The mid to low level studio that can option a King work and kind of throw out a, um, you know, a work of some sort, you know, a film that's based off a short story, that's kind of going away. I think there's a reason why in the 90s we see so many of these uh, TV miniseries, right? Like those are the that's the level of kind of smaller production that you can get uh, in Mm -hmm. the 90s. So there's a lot of transformations happening in the Wastelands uh, is, is. uh, the Wastelands and Needful Things are kind of plopping down, I think, and in, in an inflection point for that. Hmm. Yeah. This, uh, this, I'm looking on Abe Books here. You can get the slipcover edition of The Wastelands for uh, four hundred, five hundred bucks. Oh well,
0: that's that's a deal.
2: I mean, I yes, I would have thought it <laughs> would be five grand, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I guess it's five grand for the the signed and numbered ones.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it goes up from there. But even just the slipcase, I just thought, "Oh yeah." And actually the ones that are uh, brand new and unopened, they're still in the uh what do you call it? Like the the uh plastic wrap. That's mm-hmm. like 2 grand. Dang. I mean, I would never buy that, but mm-hmm. I just assume Stephen King Dark Tower, you would assume like, "Ah, oh, it's a lot, a huge amount of money." <laughs> um, but this is I mean, it's still a huge amount of money. I would mm-hmm. I would never do that, but less money than I assume. Other other stuff uh, about the wastelands anything you dug up about it I I did a little bit of a cursory look for interviews and Stephen King didn't really talk about this book too much at the time I, I don't think he was doing a lot of interviews unless you found some stuff.
0: Yeah, no I I also did a little bit of digging and didn't find much Uh, So and I haven't even found a some retrospective talking about it really um, so
2: yeah, yeah, I've seen a few uh like uh, rereading Stephen King, you know, because there's a few blogs and things like that, uh, kind of in the realm of what we do, and and like evaluating the Dark Tower, reviewing the Dark Tower, that kind of stuff. But I, for this show, I kind of try to get away from that. You know, if it's not directly historically focused, I tend not to, yeah. not to read it. Uh, well,
0: why don't you summarize it? Oh,
2: yeah, I gotta do it. Shit. <clears throat> All right.
0: The five-sentence summary is the part of the show where one of us takes a moment and summarizes the book we just read in five sentences, no more, no less, off the top of the head, not reading a Wikipedia summary or taking a long time to read a Wikipedia summary, as people have asked us in the past. Uh, This is all pure original content directly to your ears, and the honor today is Cameron's.
2: The honor today is mine. And the honor today is mine. Um, brother.
3: <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Roland, Susanna
2: and Eddie are living in the woods and they are attacked by a giant robot bear. Open. Oh, fuck. What's that thing called? That's on the nine. What's that? Th- what's Parentheses. that? Called? Parentheses. Parentheses open parentheses It's a cyborg like RoboCop <laughs> close parentheses <laughs> period They kill it and Roland discovers slash reveals that he is going insane because he's living two lives at one time comma or has too many memories from an alternate life period They use magic to draw the third person who was not that guy they killed from the previous book, but is in fact Jake from the first book, The Gunslinger, open parentheses, who Roland let die,
3: close parentheses, period. Is that three sentences? Before? That's three. Okay. Okay. They walk across
2: the countryside and eventually meet a bunch of old people. Uh-huh. Then they go to the city of Lud, where they meet the TikTok man. Open parentheses, not from John Wick. Close parentheses, comma. And also a train who loves riddles and is also insane.
3: Uh... Dash M- the book ends on a cliffhanger period okay, that's, that's true yeah
2: that's all the, that's all that happens in the book mm-hmm <laughs> hey, what do you think about that time uh in the book where uh where Roland talks about killing every man, woman, and child in uh that in that little town from the first book, and no one bats an eye <laughs> he expli- the book explicitly says man, woman, and child, uh-huh. And they're, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you had to do that, Roland. Yeah, yeah. Seems, seems pretty reasonable, Roland. Seems pretty yeah, Seems pretty normal, Roland. Uh, so I guess some uh, stuff that, that's hanging over this novel. Just at, like first, first principle stuff that's hanging over the novel that we probably need to talk about. Number one, Susanna. Uh-huh. Just period. Wait, we need to talk about her. Uh, number two. Stephen King's clear guilt at having killed Jake Uh (laughs) in the first novel.
0: I'm I'm making notes here since uh, Susanna, Jake, Uh, guilt.
2: uh, Number three, Stephen King's seemingly auto-criticism of himself about how he brutalizes children in his novels of this era. Uh And yet he still does it in the book. Yeah.
0: Yeah, oh my god. Jake is in so much peril in this
2: constantly. Peril and just getting beaten. Yeah. he just gets smashed in the face over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I think that's the, the big three for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh so yeah, we already talk, sort of talked about like this is all this is the book where uh I mean one of the reasons I think I responded so well to it way back when I read it the first time, when I finally broke down and started reading The Dark Tower hmm after avoiding it for so long despite being uh in the stephen king list serves and everything
3: mm-hmm. uh
2: no can i ask a clarifying yeah. question i know we've talked about it but I, sure. I would like to have it fresh and perhaps this is someone's uh first episode mm-hmm. why did you avoid the dark tower originally uh because i do not particularly like
0: fantasy as a genre
3: mm-hmm.
0: um it's not to say that like I will hate like I will like hate a book because it is fantasy, but be the rather that fantasy has to do a lot of work for me to buy into it, for me to feel like it's worth my time. Mm-hmm. And these uh sort of feelings also apply to frankly, uh books that are in a series. Uh if it is a series of books that have like an overarching plot, uh like a serial narrative, um it is a uh, uh, a real like flash in the pan that I actually get bought in at the beginning. I tend to be very suspicious of, of things that I uh, basically feel like aren't going to work out in the end. Uh, mm. So the reason I started reading these books was because in the early 2000s, Uh, Stephen King started finishing up the Dark Tower series, and, uh, the, the sort of word on the street at the time was that when he finished the Dark Tower series, he was going to retire. And since I had already read everything up until that point, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to read the Dark Tower series, so I'll just, like, finish it all out. And, uh, so there was, like, one summer before Wolves of the Kala came out, where I went back and I reread The Gunslinger, because I'd read that, like, initially or something, and, and that's when I had realized, like, oh, this is just some fantasy horseshit. Um, so I went back and to the beginning, and I started rereading, and I remember getting to this book, To the Wastelands, and being like, oh, hot damn, this is what this series is? Like, why wasn't it this from the beginning? <laughs> Uh, because it it really, uh, as we already said, it it acquires, like, lore and direction, which, Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean that I, like, love lore dumps, but part of my issue with the first two books was, (sighs) I just had no context for anything that was happening, like, Roland wants to reach the tower, that's great, I don't care, (laughs) because that holds no meaning, like, yeah, I mean, they,
2: they, both of the previous books feel like the classic Kingian writing method, right, which is like, no outline, here we go. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic in some ways because it's the one where he claims that he has an outline. Right. Um, you know, or at least some sort of structure that that's going for it. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, this this is a book where
0: suddenly, like, we know, like, what kind of the Dark Tower is and why it matters, not exactly why it matters that Roland has to get there, but uh, b- because we get a better idea of what the Dark Tower is here, uh, it's like, oh, Okay, uh I can understand why it might be important for someone to reach this. And I also think and we'll talk about this later, but this book does a lot of really good work of implying like what the dark tower is or what it means, right? We this is when we start getting um the most explicit talk of like the levels or the layers of the tower and and what those correspond to. Right. Um uh and so, you know, I I was just like really on board haha <laughs> uh and you know I I I liked it uh and as you say uh maybe this is because at least partly it revisits the dropped theme from the first book of like a little boy going on a an, an otherworldly adventure because Jake who was sacrificed by Roland back in book one uh is now so, he was sacrificed by Roland in book one. In book two, uh, Roland traveled through some doors, found uh, Deda and Odetta, who become Susanna, uh, mm-hmm. and Eddie, and uh, this other guy, this third guy, Jack Mort, the pusher, who is turns out to be the person who killed Jake in the first book. Now, again, mm-hmm. if this is your first episode or something... Uh, In the first book, Jake gets into Roland's world by dying. He is a young boy from 1970s New York who gets pushed into the street and run over by a car. He dies, and he goes to a desert hell world. And then the cowboy that he meets lets him die. So in book two, Roland... Uh, stops the initial death of Jake from happening, which results in a split timeline that, as you said in your summary, Cameron, is now driving Roland insane because he has memories of being with Jake underneath the mountains and letting him die, but he also has memories of making that journey entirely alone. Uh, and so the the contradiction, the paradox, has to be resolved in order to save Roland's mind. So the resuming kind of plot line here is that we return to jake in 1970s new york and he gets drawn back into roland's world uh as a full member of basically their little scouting party
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah he's the fine the boy Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i i kind of agree uh in terms of like you know i i didn't have the uh allergy to fantasy but 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 notably i have not really enjoyed the uh the previous stephen king fantasy books that we've read you know uh, like vitalisyn for example Mm -hmm. which is a very traditional fantasy i wasn't big on that book Mm -hmm. um and and while i was reading this i was trying to think about that right because this the wastelands has a lot of that kind of stuff in it right Mm -hmm. jake's a pov character for a big chunk of it you know um he has just as much weight for most of the book as roland does uh, you know, we kind of get this cross cutting in the middle of the book where we have these sections of Jake who's also experiencing all these kind of like split timeline, double memory things that he knows are or are not true. Um, you know, he's having those and then we get Roland. And so Jake's like walking around New York and having his own little mystical adventure, um, which weirdly enough, you know, some of the stuff that people really don't like about like five, six, seven of these books uh, which also has some like New York and not to spoil anything, but it's got some like going back to our world, New Yorkie kind of stuff. That's like half of this book. So like, I, it's all here. Yeah. Um, originally. But uh, so, you know, in, in the same way, so uh, we get Jack in the same way that we get, or no, sorry, Jake in the uh-huh. same way that we get Jack. Isn't his name Jack I, from, from, oh, the oh, oh, from the talisman. Yes. <laughs> uh Yeah. Good, good God. Uh, so, uh, so that's all to say, you know, I was trying to think, well, what, what do I not like about the talisman where, where I like it here? Mm -hmm. And one of those things I think has to do with the stuff you just described, which is that there's some like kind of complicated, just like arbitrarily complicated metaphysic stuff going on here, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's different timelines, and they've split. Someone exists across those timelines, and that's interesting to me in the way that just, like, bouncing back and forth between our world and the fantasy world just is less interesting to me. In mm-hmm. um, the places where the, that book is really cool, like the description of his uncle's, like, evil giant horse chariot or whatever, yeah. <laughs> they're just few and far between, you uh-huh. know? Like, the stuff that really sticks out to me is just not... You know, for every cool horse chariot you get, you get like a scary tunnel, and the scary tunnel is not interesting mm-hmm. to me personally. Um, the other thing that, that I think kind of sticks out is that, as we've talked about, his other fantasy books are mostly restoration fantasies, right? Mm-hmm. Like there there's a good a good king, good a good prince, you know, a good lordling has to come along and reestablish order in the world. And what's great about the, uh, I think, a lot of Stephen King's horror is that there are protagonist characters who want to, like, make the world less bad because something terrible is happening to them. But they don't really restore the world to the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Gary gets exploded at the mm-hmm. end of it, you know, and, and a, a few of them die. Uh, notably, Pet Cemetery does not end in a, uh, you know, a, a great way, right? Like, people are going through really difficult things, and and at best, they get through it, for the most part. They don't restore the world to order. hmm I think the Wastelands is really making it clear, in the Dark Tower, that, uh, there are these last emanations of the good world, you know, the quote-unquote white, which, uh uh-huh. Uh, You know, the the last gunslinger, all this kind of stuff that um uh, has that kind of restoration fantasy feel to it, you know, that, mm-hmm. that Roland's going to come through the world and help make things right, or at least that's what he believes. But all context in the novel suggests that is impossible. Yeah. So it's like it's it's like one of Stephen King's fantasy characters wandering through one of his horror novels.
3: Mm hmm.
0: And I like that way more. Yeah. I, the thing that I think I really responded to strongly when I first uh, read this book, uh, because there were elements of uh, The Gunslinger, the first book that I really mm-hmm. liked, that were about like the weird train station they find when they go through the mountains and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would later learn is a whole subgenre of science uh, fiction and, and fantasy fiction uh, called Dying Earth, uh, oh, right <laughs> that that it turns out I like a lot, and like this is this is so dying earth, right? this feeling that uh, as it's put here, right, the world has moved on, and like the things are winding down right there there's no there's no bringing this back like this is this is the end of all things, like they're just going to uh, peter out into nothingness,
2: yeah, and like the people you know, and it's all part of the uh, you know a very kind of cold war imaginary, right, like after mm-hmm. after the weapons that human beings have used uh, uh against one another after them there will be no more human beings right or at least not in the way that we imagine them now something something so terrible has happened you know and so in, in like the actual dying earth stuff you know the resources of of the planet earth have been like warped into magic and technology and shit mm-hmm. um or you know thinking about uh I think it's the second book of the Book of the New Sun where uh, he's down in the mines with the, uh, uh, uh gosh, what, they're like kind of like simian humans or whatever. Oh, and he's mm-hmm. looking around and it's like uh, everything in the mine is like, uh, like what do you call it? Like silicone chips and stuff? Yes. You know, it's, it's like a quote unquote mine, but really it's like an ancient trash dump. Right, mm-hmm. you, you know, and that's very much the the vibe of the slow mutants section of uh, the gunslinger. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, there's this kind of thing of like, uh, I, I like the idea of this, this combination of Kingian types, right? Of like the restorationist guy making the world good. And then also just like a shitty world that's like not good and is not going to receive that. And what's even better to me. About this, and, and maybe th- this is like a good way to move into talking about other pieces of the novel, is the kind of uh, auto-critical function of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, for example, what we are talking about is what Eddie thinks in the novel. Like, yeah. <laughs> Eddie it looks at the City of Lud multiple times. He's like, yeah, there's gonna be people there. They're gonna have technology. You know, there's gonna be some. There's gonna be good. He keeps calling them the good elves or something. Yeah, he keeps
0: imagining them as basically Rivendell,
2: right? Y- yes, yeah. He's like, it's gonna be good, and they get close to the city, and it's all you know messed up, and all the the you know windows are blown out, and he can hear explosions and gunfire in the distance, and he's like, oh, there's no good elves, <laughs> damn it! And, but that's exactly kind of what the the you know he is putting into character voice what what the whole novel is saying, right? Which is like, you think you're gonna find, you know, the last bastion of human beings. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, of the good pe- of the good folk hidden in an enclave. That's not that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. The world is poisoned. It has moved on. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I like that. In my my fantasy science fiction novel. Yeah. Yeah. Like the closest
0: you get to the good elves are, in fact, the uh, like senior citizens church group that you met down the road.
2: Right. And they're dying. Yep. They're, like they are not long for this world. They are all 100 years old. Mm-hmm. And also time is broken. And yes, yeah, <laughs> compasses don't work, etc. Right.
0: Uh, yeah the uh, the the whole thing with uh, like the the futuristic. Oh, so we we can actually use this to talk about like Shardik. I'll
2: have more to say on Shardik later, but uh, Shardik the bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so the novel this... opens with them in the woods north of the beach that we at the very end of the last book. So like we're picking up. A few months later, right? But in terms mm-hmm. of space, very, very close to the end of the last novel. Yeah. And uh they're hanging
0: out in the woods and uh just out of nowhere this giant, like just gargantuan bear comes out and starts wrecking shit. Uh and they it. They begin it. to
2: throw leather shoes at it. Yes,
0: <laughs> right. I was also thinking of that
2: during <laughs> this
0: um uh but they they fight it uh we get some like moments of like you know eddie and Susanna being gunslingers right using their training and everything but so they shoot the giant bear dead uh and as they're like fighting it i think it's eddie who realizes it's got like some sort of weird metal cap on its head with like a radar dish which is
2: just it's thinking cap
0: yes it's so like beautifully weird uh so this uh and then they like after they kill it and they're like inspecting it, and and the other thing that's really great about this is that it's like, uh, uh, it, it's sneezing, right? It's sick in some way, and so when it sneezes, there, it's it's biomechanical, but then like when it sneezes, all these like maggots shoot out of its nose every time uh and we actually get a brief point of view from the bears uh uh like perspective on all this and it's basically Cujo again right the the yeah, the, yeah. the big good animal that's got like uh some sort of sickness within it that it doesn't understand uh but then after they kill it uh they find the the oh this is such a good moment where uh they find the uh like copyright mark on it Right, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. right, like the copyright imprint from like North Central Positronics, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Which uh, Positronics, just by the way, uh, uh, Isaac Asimov reference hmm. the Positronic brain, uh, and this is when you get the like clearest sense of what exactly has gone down in Roland's world because that's when Eddie and Susanna are like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> like, what is going on?" Uh, and Roland has to be like, "Okay, so." Uh, here's the story that I was told in my childhood, uh, that there are the guardians of the beam, and they're like these twelve magical animals, and, uh, a long, long time ago, there was a great society of people who we called the Old Ones, uh, who did some sort of irreparable harm to the world, and in order to, uh try to undo that they took these kind of naturally occurring mythic figures of the bear and like I think the rabbit and the dog and the turtle is the other big one mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, they tried to recreate uh or like um fix these these naturally occurring mythic entities with their own technology but it was insufficient and uh something something even worse happened and now like all of their technology has just been out there in the world doing its thing and now it's like running down. Uh and so uh they uh like, you know, talk about uh cy like <laughs> I think it's Eddie has to explain to like Susanna like what a cyborg is.
2: <laughs> well he's like you know, like Robocop. <laughs> and so I looked up. I was like, when is Eddie Dean from? hmm And uh Robocop comes out in eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Eddie Dean is abducted from 87. Mm-hmm. And so in the chronology, and hold on, let me, I need to look actually very specifically to when, uh, let, me, let me see here, RoboCop release date, July 17th, mm. 1987. So Eddie Dean blasted on heroin, watched RoboCop, and then went to the Bahamas. Uh-huh. That's wild to me. And then was abducted on an airplane by,
3: mm-hmm. you know. And then got
0: pulled either. into a fantasy world where his
2: knowledge of RoboCop ended up being very useful for him. That's it, true. <laughs> but yeah, so it's this kind of double experience of, I mean, it's a, this, the opening of the novel. This is what the first hundred pages or something like that. Yeah. It's it's a great um, whole set of circumstances, right? I think on one hand, right? We, we get the the big... Uh, info dump here right and mm-hmm. and this is a kind of a critical info dump because this sets the standard for the next 15 years of Stephen King's writing. Yeah, uh, I mean really and truly everything from this point forward not everything but a huge chunk of Stephen King's work from this point forward will intersect with the Dark Tower in some kind of way to the point where some novels become entirely about it. Uh, you know, insomnia, that's one we point to regularly, but you know, it's a, a, a straight up Stephen King novel, you know, in big quotation marks, right? It's not a, an official dark tower novel, but it 80% of it is about the dark tower. Um, and so, and uh, you know, again with hearts in Atlantis, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the early two thousands, there, there's a few of them that just kind of don't make any sense outside of the relationship to the dark tower. And they all kind of hold to this, this principle. And at the middle of where all these beams meet, um, as you were saying, is that's the Dark Tower, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of the fulcrum through which the world is um I don't know spins, you know, right. essentially.
0: Right. And notably uh, like uh the bear the bear is called Shardik, which is uh the title of a novel, a fantasy novel by Richard Adams, who's the guy who wrote Watership Down, the the rabbit fantasy novel that I think is integral to what's going on in the stand. Mm-hmm. Um sort of that like like uh, uh you know quest narrative. Uh but Shardick uh, the Adams novel is about also, like, a giant bear. And so there's this wonderful sense of this far future science fantasy world that has destroyed itself but is also, like, clearly connected in some way to our world, right? That they would also have a knowledge of a, a giant bear called Shardick or they would have made something like that. And so that's one of the really great effects that Steve uh, works through all of the Dark Tower stuff is the way that his... um. Far future, like uh, decrepit science fantasy stuff, is also constantly reflecting like mid century American uh, popular culture,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's playing off of the criticism. And this is something that I don't think I knew before we did the show. Uh, but this is riffing off the criticism that Stephen King got in the eighties that there were too many brand names in his fiction that it would mm-hmm. age his fiction. That it would that it attaches his fiction too much to the real world. And this is him leaning into it, being like. Yeah, that's true. Like, I am my references. Here's Richard Adams. And more than that, my characters are going to comment on it. mm mm-hmm. um, And so many of these things, like, you know, like, Nozzle Law, North Central Positronics, Sombra Corporation, right? Like, those are all these, like, kind of fantasy brand names that he comes up with that, like, resonate through the rest of his fiction. When you see Nozzle Law show up in a Stephen King novel, it means a thing. hmm y- You know, it has its own way. It's not Coca-Cola. It's this, uh, you know, alternate uh, kind of universe thing going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing I like about the Shardic section, uh, before we talk about some other stuff, is that you likened it to Cujo, and it is kind of like Cujo, but uh, I think there are some really great differences to it that demonstrate uh, the differences between like mid-world, you know, whatever Roland's world is, versus the world that we have, mm-hmm. uh, which is like Cujo is the nice dog who something terrible happens to. Mm-hmm. Shardic is the evil bear. That something terrible happens to Mm. Uh, you know because very notably Shardik has this memory right when we're in his in its POV where he's talking about the old ones who used to live in the forest and they like messed with him at some point and and Shardik went and killed all of their children Mm -hmm. and that's before it started going insane or whatever right before it was infected it was just kind of a huge asshole. Yeah. Um, And so there's something to me, what I really like about that granularity there, the difference between it and Kujo is it's the same tragic story as you're pointing out, right? Like it it once had itself and because of something out of its control, it has lost itself. And in losing itself, it has become this giant murderous machine. But in its programming, you know, it's a cyborg, it's a Robocop, right? In its programming, the great old ones programmed cruelty in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Right it's it's not just a raging monster when it had itself when it you know when it when it was under its own control it still murdered children on purpose Mhm right and like what who would build that right. who would build the machine that kills children mm-hmm. exclusively right and so you know and that that feeds into the kind of mythological thing that roland is doing too right like that's a myth you know the bear that comes out of the woods and murders all the children you have to do something about it right that's a a uniquely kind of mythological style of story um and you could imagine that being something that roland is told as a child right alongside this kind of broader set of things oh shardick you know it's it's evil and and Cruel and all these mm-hmm. kinds of things. But, but, you know, in the bigger perspective, it, it gives some, some character to this civilization far in the past. And, you know, I think Roland here is, I think it's in the section where Roland's like, yeah, either they broke the world or they built this and it broke the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really know. And it's mythological to me. You know, I was told it as a child, so I don't really know. Uh, but I, I just like there, there's some really. I don't normally associate Stephen King with really good micro maneuvers. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally he does it, and we—I and try to point it out when when I see it. You know, where specific words or or functions or whatever, where they they really bend the novel towards something interesting. But for the most part, he's great in broad strokes and is weaker in specifics. Uh here this is a, where he's very strong in specifics. I don't know, you know, obviously intent is whatever. I, I don't really care about that, but he does hit on something here where it's as you're saying a riff on previous work, but it's a riff where the difference is a big difference. Mhm. Uh you want to talk about Susanna? Um
0: yeah, Susanna is a very confusing character. The end. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, she's a combo of data no data. Uh-huh. Detta being a cartoonishly evil um, black woman. Yep. Who victimizes white boys. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, Odetta being like also kind of a caricature caricature of like upper middle class to rich civil rights activists. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they combine together into a down-home Mainer. Uh Uh-huh. Who's good and true and hopeful and like the way forward. Yep. Um, but, and this is like where we get the, the transformation here, right? So it's two personalities and they've melded together and it's mostly Odetta, but with a little bit of the sharpness of Detta, right? And like, we've talked about the race politics involved in that, um, in the drawing to the three episode. I don't think we have to revisit it here, but the thing that's, that's interesting or, um, uh, the thing that King builds on here Mm -hmm. is that, that Detta Walker the kind of caricature of the evil black lady becomes Susanna's superpower. Yeah. So when Susanna needs to like get evil or like really start roasting the shit out of somebody or tap into some hidden well of power. Like do math.
0: (laughs) Oh, actually, wait, is it Odetta
2: who does the math? No, I think it's it's Detta who does the math because she makes fun of Odetta. Oh,
0: that's right. For not getting it as quick as she does, right?
2: Right. Yeah. About like understanding prime numbers. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Like doing math, uh, you got to tap into Detta Walker and like re summon up her. Uh huh. Uh I don't, I truly don't know what to do with it, you know, but it, that is like a thing that's part, and that will be a part of her forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, uh, throughout the rest of the novels, Susanna will always be able to tap into Detta Walker as her like hidden well of strength.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting when you put it aside, uh, say like the way that Richie Tozier gets talked about in It, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. he has like, uh, one of the ways that, uh, Richie doing all of his voices when he becomes a, a radio DJ, um, one of the ways that that gets talked about, and I commented on this in the, uh, the It episode is like, uh, Richie as a kid is kind of just like undisciplined basically right he's got all of these kind of like fragments or aspects of himself all these kinds of directions he's being uh, uh, pulled toward uh, uh, kind of a hyperactivity right an excess of self or an excess of energy uh, that he needs to discipline into a kind of reserve set of personalities that he uh, falls back into when he needs to, I don't know, do his radio program or do a voice to, like, you know, uh, uh, combat the, the force of evil. So this is like a recurring uh, trope for King, right? The, the person who has the, like, s- uh, uh, subsumed personalities uh that like or rather i think the the way to because the the situation with susanna is is so very very different because uh her personalities were like quote-unquote real personalities they are they, they weren't yeah, always right. just fictional um but i think the structure right the logic is the same that uh in order for susanna to exist right as like an integrated or whole person uh she has to like reign in these subsidiary personalities. And then like the, the proper, uh, uh, of those personalities then becomes a source of strength. Whereas before it was a weakness.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, in, in, uh, Roland's world, right in mid world, y- you kind of need those things. You need the sharper version of yourself that doesn't belong in our world. Right. Um, but, but it, you know alongside of that is like that character is is a partial person mm-hmm. like uh, purposefully right and is also a, a caricature of a black woman right right right, um, right so it's like you know she uh i'm not quite i mean she like taps into the sapphire you know mm-hmm. um, in terms of like the 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 tropology of black women yeah uh, i mean so it's just weird you know, yeah, and, and bad. bad. It feels bad. Just to be explicit,
0: right, about what we're talking about here, I think the most egregious scene of this is when they're drawing Jake over from New York they have to go to another uh, stone circle that's haunted by a demon like we saw in uh, the first book. Um, that, was a, that was a whole thing. Like there was like a stone circle that Jake wanders into and there's a demon there and the demon sexually assaults him. Uh, and Roland like rescues Jake and then like gives himself up to the demon to like placate it. And mm-hmm. um, And this is, like, this becomes, like, a facet of the lore of this world now. Roland has to explain it to everyone, whereas when we encountered it in the first book, it's just like, okay, like, that's just this stone circle, this demon there just happens to be like this. Here we get Roland being like, all right, so there's a stone circle up ahead, and what you need to know about the stone circles is that they are always filled with sex demons. Uh, Right. right? Every Uh, time. Every time. Like, without fail, you find a stone circle, sex demon in there. Uh, so, uh, they have to use the, the circle because it's a place of power in order to open the gate to draw Jake through, uh, but to do that they have to also distract the demon that inhabits it, and, uh, the way they do this is by having, uh, Susanna have sex with the demon and and for in order for her to do that and come out okay she becomes uh detta who like notoriously uh was uh someone who would go out to like roadhouses get uh white boys to like come with her somewhere and then like sexually frustrate them and then sometimes uh, uh physically assault them mm-hmm. um and so her like sexuality right the 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 excess sexuality of detta becomes this weapon with which they distract and uh entrap the demon because this is the other thing is like once the demon gets going uh uh it actually gets scared of Susanna like that we get Susanna's point of view from this and she's like oh yeah this is working like I am like I am frightening this thing mm-hmm and it's just, uh, I remember, again, uh, uh, for as much as I love this book, I remember reading this in the the 2000s and being like, Steve, really?
2: Yep, really. Well, that's this is partially why I went looking for reviews. Uh-huh. I was like, what did people have to say about this? This book that ends in a cliffhanger and has a 40-page scene of, like, robust fucking as a superpower uh-huh. <laughs> in the middle of it. <laughs> like uh-huh. what did people think of that? And uh, yeah, I couldn't really find too much, which is very odd in and of itself. <sighs> um, But, but I can do it. But yeah, so anyway, there, there, there's something, I don't know, interesting and odd going on there uh, around that. And then I guess of the other m- big meta elements here, what, what do you think about uh, the, the auto critique going on across the whole book?
0: Of like Jake and everything, or like well of Jake. of Jake,
2: we've already talked about some of it. Mm-hmm. Um But but yeah, the you know Jake finds Charlie the Choo Choo, mm-hmm. and in that book, he's reading that book. We'll, we'll talk about the specificity of this in a minute. But he finds a book, and it kind of allegorizes or or gives some ideas about what's going to happen later on in this book, right? He's reading a it's a children's book. It's a big you know flat what what are those called like a cardboard book. Mm-hmm. Like a big picture book. A Big picture book. There you go. It's a big picture book and he's reading it and he, he like slowly begins to realize that like because it's about Charlie the Choo Choo and about how he gets like taken out of commission and his the engineer Bob is, uh, you know, trying to get him back on the tracks and the in the big new train that replaces Charlie the Choo Choo can't, you know, it's broken down one day. So Charlie the Choo Choo's got to go to the city the fastest he can. You know, it's one of those, mm-hmm. right? And at the end, Charlie is retired and uh, put in a little park, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little amusement park. And uh, it's it's a rerun uh, of something we saw in the library, policeman. Right? Mm-hmm. Where if you lo- the image is not nefarious, but if you look closely at it, you realize oh, the children who are riding Charlie the Choo Choo, they're not they're not having a good time. They're crying. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're being tortured by Charlie the Choo Choo. Uh, They don't want to be on Charlie the Choo Choo. Mm -hmm. And then Jake has this kind of thought, right? Where he's like, hey, uh, isn't it easy to be cruel to children in books? Mm -hmm. You know, he says he's really kind of talking at at a a meta level because he's talking about how uh, uh, I think he's talking about how engineer Bob's wife is dead. And he was like, it's easy in a book, you know, for children to write things that hurt children. It's easy yeah. to hurt children with fiction, to make them feel bad, to make them cry, whatever. And then in the book itself, that Charlie Chuchu is torturing kids. You know right. we we learn. And you know, it's hard to read that and do you know, here uh, say the catchphrase, right? The method's paying off. Uh-huh because that you know that's Stephen King is so clearly up across the end of the 80s thinking about this right that, there's a reason why he says that it is his kind of final book about kids it, he's wrong that's not true uh you know here we are what, yeah here we are but you know he he clearly is thinking about trying to close the door on these books about chil- children and their childhood traumas mm-hmm. um and I think he's thinking seriously about how he deploys kids as a kind of fulcrum for violence or as a weather vane for the, the cruelty of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that probably has to do a little bit with his kids growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's some of that going on there. Um, because a lot of those novels, as we have learned reading things, uh, or in re- reading King, talking about them in interviews or in essays or whatever. Right. Uh, you know for example pet cemetery you know that's him he and he says this explicitly that's him kind of working through some of the fears about owen and uh potentially uh having hydrocephaly right? mm-hmm. they they were unclear on that and so uh and, and we talked about the kind of um uh prejudice about disability that that king is kind of showing in some of those interviews at the time um, and so you know his his books in the '80s are really thinking through this question of children. And to me, this was like a moment of like, oh shit, King is is thinking through the what happens to kids in books. Right. Um, and it's one of many meta kind of auto critical statements in this book. You know, Eddie is constantly talking about narrative shit and fantasy novel <laughs> shit in his internal monologues in this in this book. There's a lot of meta criticism here of mm-hmm. characters thinking through their own position. Mm -hmm. But what's but what's notable is that, you know, Jake is like, oh, dang, isn't it easy to be cruel to kids? That's kind of lazy and bad and and maybe a little bit too easily played with. And then he just gets the shit beaten out of him from here to eternity in this novel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking, too, about the library policeman and the kind of very egregious, you know, sexual assault of a child in that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's I don't know. I just think it's notable that King is floating. This as an idea and then resoundingly ignoring it or yeah. just like filing it away as a character thought and not taking it seriously ab- about his own work. Yeah. No, the, the treatment
0: of Jake here. It, yeah. So Jake in particular, and you talked about this earlier, like the, the guilt that like King actually seems to feel about having killed off Jake in mm. that first book. Um, uh, and like the revisiting Jake here is so fascinating because there is this recurring fantasy in King's work about basically like, I wish I could go on an adventure with my son. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like not necessarily my son, that might be too literal, but like uh, a the, son, a son, right? A, a son figure. Like the first version of this that we get is, uh, uh, Ben and Mark in Salem's lot. Um, right. uh, like this, this, uh, sort of very wistful idea of, like, the man and the boy. I mean, frankly, right? He's, he's like, <laughs> he is yearning to write Cormac McCarthy's The Road.
2: <laughs> right, like, right.
0: <laughs> um, Uh Right, the man and the boy, each the other world's entire. Um, and uh, because we get, like, uh, so we, like, we save Jake, right? We save Jake in, in the last book. Uh, but then the view of Jake's life that we get in uh this book his new york life is so uh just desolate like uh not in the way that like midworld is desolate but like uh he, i in the notes i called him jake the new york lonely boy <laughs> which is a uh a reference to like a uh sitcom that almost assuredly you haven't watched and maybe none of our listeners have uh have you heard of girls five Eva? <laughs> uh
2: i mean yeah I, kn- I know what it is but yeah. uh, unfortunately i've not Watch Girls Five
1: Eva. Uh,
0: it's 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 pretty funny. Uh, I like it because it comes out of like sort of the uh, Tina Fey like school of sitcom writing. Uh, like she's a producer on it, and like mm-hmm. of all of her like sitcoms, it's actually kind of her least. Bad in terms of certain representational ticks, uh, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting. Uh, but what Girls Five Eva is about is about a a pop group of girls. Like it was a girls pop group from the nineties that like uh, has a reunion in the present day, and they like ha- try to do a comeback. Um, and so every episode has like an original song in it. And the main character, who's played by Sarah Bareilles, um has she's married and she they have a the son. early
2: 2000s Sarah Bareilles, yeah. Yeah, wow.
0: yeah, her. Um weird. Uh she she and her husband have a son um and he's like an only child and there's an episode that's like it's my favorite episode because it's so fun. It's like one of the it's just so sharply observed of um her realizing that her kid is weird because he's an only child living to like two middle class living with two middle class parents in new york and she realizes there's like an entire subspecies of boy that's uh she calls the new york lonely boys and like everyone knows what they are and they're like oh yeah he's a new york lonely boy <laughs> um and it's just and like she like is walking around the city and she starts like seeing them everywhere because it's always like young boys who don't have any siblings who live in a building and like like their best friend is the building's doorman, right? <laughs> um and so I remember watching that episode and being like, "Oh yeah, that's Jake from the Dark Tower. He's just a New York lonely boy."
2: He is, it's true,
0: right? Uh he he like gets put into this uh prep school because he's got this high-powered cocaine addicted father. <clears throat> um <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, uh, his dad's like a network TV executive and, uh, uh, has a lot of stuff going on, but he really like, he's like, you gotta succeed in business, kid. Uh, but he, he's like emotionally cordoned off from everyone around him, right? The person he is closest with is like the family housekeeper. Um, and he's also getting, the the other thing we need to remark upon about this book is that we get the, uh, the explosion of, like, plot convenience psychicness, where, like, Jake is just having, uh, like, auto-write, like, he writes an essay for school that is just, like, this, uh, uh, modernist poem (laughs) about Roland and his world. Uh, But that also like, because he has written it in kind of this auto writing fit uh, provides narrative justification for him, like knowing who Blaine is. We haven't even mentioned really Blaine yet, but uh, we'll talk about it. Um, But, you know, just because, uh, because Jake is kind of like receiving these visions or sort of like this, uh, these communiques from this alternate world. um, He just can like, I'm just going to skip school today and like wander around New York. And I am going to conveniently run into the characters that I need to follow who are going to take me to the place I need to go to get into the other world and all that stuff. So that all happens with Jake. Um, He also finds a, uh, this will become plot critical later, right? An an empty lot in New York uh, where there is a sink, like it's a bunch of weeds and then a single beautiful rose. Uh, And he knows that that's important for some reason. But then he gets pulled over into... Uh, Roland's world, and he is, like, elated, because he is finally with people who, like, care about him, who, like, emotionally connect with him, uh, and then they get to Ludd, and he's kidnapped by Gasher, so Ludd is this, uh, decrepit, ancient, like, far future, fallen-to-ruin version of sort of New York slash St. Louis, uh, and it's populated entirely by, like, the the remnants of these warring factions who call themselves the Pubes and the Greys, um, who are all basically like elderly pirates and
2: they're uh, something. I I have no idea.
0: They, they speak in kind of like weird, uh, artificial, uh, uh, Shakespearean kind of dialect. It's actually really fun to have Steve. Like weird. Steve is not terribly good at this kind of thing typically, but for some reason, I think it really works with like gasher. Um, so, yeah, he's taken captive by this guy named Gasher, who then proceeds to just, like, beat the crap out of him while running through Lud and, and Roland's in pursuit. And we get a point eventually where uh, Jake is, like, thinking to himself or says even maybe to Roland, like, yeah, that's sure bad, but, like, I would much rather be here than back
2: in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be in, in Hellscape world than mm-hmm. than be in New York City.
0: Yeah, and I just, yeah. Same, honestly. (laughs) Like you say, Cameron, it is really interesting. I hadn't quite put it uh, together in my own mind that way, that there is this auto-critique that seems to be leveraged, but because the thought that I was having while reading it this time was just like, man, this this book cannot stop beating up Jake for some
2: reason. Yeah. Yeah, there's a yearning. King is similar to... Uh, Steven Spielberg in, in a few different ways, I think. But one mm-hmm. of the major ones is that he returns to, uh, I mean, look, that's the whole show, but he returns to similar themes over and over again. Mm-hmm. And one of them, especially in the more mundane works, right, as opposed to the, the fantastical or the horrific, the you know, the mundane stories is a, a bit of biography. You know, biography is not destiny, but Stephen King does return to this theme quite often, which is uh, dying mothers and absent fathers. Mm-hmm. Much like Spielberg did, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, mothers who need to be protected and fathers who aren't there. Uh, and King, very specifically, you know, because as we talked about in the early episodes, uh, he, he never knew his father. He knew his father was a writer. He has these little bits and pieces, but he doesn't. He doesn't have it. And quite literally, the fantasy magic words right the the luke i am your father the uh you know um the catchphrase of the dark tower is you've forgotten the face of your father Mm -hmm. and so like dads are missing Mm -hmm. and the ultimate dad which is the great old ones who set the world in motion and then abandoned you they're everywhere right and it's just such an odd thing to me not it's not an odd thing it's notable to me, I guess, that, you know, beaten children and absent fathers are the core of this book here. Mm-hmm. And when there are additional parental figures, they're not even up to snuff, right? Like, Roland encounters all these, like, ancient people with their wisdom, and the reality is, is, like, they are not up to the task of living in the world. They will, they will perish.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so, it, you know, it's there's a lot of that going on. And I do kind of wonder, like, is that what makes the book good is that it has such a strong thematic resonance, mm-hmm. which is not a thing that we all, we always say about a Stephen King book, right? Sometimes it's just a bunch of plot events happening in order. But this has very little going on and a lot of scaffolding to make it all cohere.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that, that coherence is fathers and children. Mm hmm. And the and the regret yeah. of not saving the kid, of killing the kid when you shouldn't have. And honestly, this is maybe where I turn on Roland a little bit as a character, because I think what is interesting about Roland as a character, and I've said this before, is that he killed Jake. Mm-hmm. The inside of Roland, inside of the Journey to the Dark Tower, is a willingness to kill Jake.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that at the end of the day, that is possible. And we get that a few times in this book too, where he thinks, you know, look, I, he says out loud, I would never do something like that again. You know, I think that's at the end of his like story explanation that he does at the beginning. And then, uh, he like looks at Eddie and he thinks, you know, would that be true? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that about Roland and as part of the retcon of this novel, there is a transformation of Roland into a different kind of guy. Mm-hmm he He wouldn't gun down a whole city anymore, right he saw And I think that loses something mm-hmm I don't know, so we've talked about uh, big big uh structury stuff, and we've also talked about some plot events right so we go from uh, they're in the woods they go and draw jake you've you've told us a little bit about that michael that you know basically there is uh Eddie starts carving a key in mm-hmm. the fantasy world science fiction world whatever, and uh Jake follows. In his in his world, he follows a young Eddie Dean and his brother, Henry. Mm hmm. He follows them to basically a haunted house. It's basically it's the house on Nybolt Street. Yes. I think it even uh, has the
0: same wallpaper. Oh, really? I think it's uh, it's the I, I may be misremembering this, but there's something about the description of the wallpaper having like dancing elves in it.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so he goes there and he has his own key and stuff like that after he has met these other characters that you talked about, he kind of goes around New York. He meets a guy named Calvin tower. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gets this book, Charlie, the choo-choo from him that I've talked about already. And he gets another book of riddles Mm -hmm. uh, that has all the answers ripped out. Mm -hmm. And so there's this question of like, what's going on with that? And then there's a long conversation about riddles and doubles and whatever. And I'm going to say this. I'm not quite sure that Stephen King understands how riddles work. (laughs) Uh, Say more. I just like where he's like, sometimes they are a double and blah, blah, blah. he like sets up these rules for riddles and like both. I can't follow that. And also like the Samson
0: riddle. Is that even a riddle? I was going to say the, the Just when they, a question. I was going to say when they talk about the, the Samson, if, if you, if you aren't uh, uh, up on your Sunday school kids, uh, uh, you know, Samson uh, in the Bible is asked a riddle about, you know, uh, uh, how does it go? Uh, out of the, uh, it's about bees making honey in the lion's skull. Whatever I can't. There's a, a particular little rhyme I'll where it then. goes. Uh But the the thing that is infamous about that specific riddle is that it is unsolvable. Right? It's about bees making a uh, a hive and a lion's skull, which is just not a thing that typically
2: happens. Uh, I'm trying to to. Oh, okay. Uh. Samson and a lion got in attack, and Samson climbed up on the lion's back. Well, you've read about lion killing men with their paws, but Samson put his hands around the lion's jaws. He rode that lion till the beast fell dead and the- Oh, no, shit. This is not the riddle.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, that's the song. That's Uh, the song. (laughs) Yeah, the riddle is something is like, out of the eater uh, came something sweet. Um...
2: Yeah, but it just requires- It's like trivia. Right. It just requires you to know what happened Mm -hmm. to the, the, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Out of the eater came forth meat, and yeah. out of the strong came forth sweetness. Yes. Yep. So, th- so, one, it's just trivia. You just need to know about Samson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, I don't understand how it's a double. It's just got two questions in it? Yeah, I don't know. Th- but that's not the kind of double that shows up later in the book, which is where a thing has two meanings. Right. It's very frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. But hey, riddles. It is. So there's a long kind of question about riddles. And then also Jake discovers this lot that you're talking about. He has this kind of uh, uh, similar kind of uh, (laughs) brainwave as uh, as Roland does at the end of the gunslinger, right? Where he looks into the rose and he sees the universe, blah, blah, blah. All the suns, Uh um, all kinds of weird stuff. But then he does the thing. He finds the house on Nybalt Street, a.k.a. this other house, and he begins to be drawn. Mm-hmm. Because on the other side, armed with the key, they have gone to the Circle of Stones, and they are fucking the demon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, they pull him through. It's pretty cool. I like this, uh, 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 what do you call it, the plaster demon? Oh, yeah, the doorkeeper. Yeah, The Doorkeeper. That's some real 80s movie shit. It, I, it's a lot of this is... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it's the house from
0: Poltergeist. Oh, yeah, it at, is the house from Poltergeist. At the end, because yeah. uh, what happens, yeah. it's a house in, in Dutch Hill in in New York, uh, and it, like, comes to life, and it becomes, like, this, like, plaster demon, as Cameron was saying, and it's, like, trying to eat Jake, and when Jake escapes, like, the house, like, crumples in on itself and collapses, and it's very... And, like, it, it we get a kind of classic kingy, like scopes out here's what everyone in the neighborhood heard and saw at the moment that Mm -hmm. this house fell in on itself and it's very much like that moment at the end of poltergeist
2: yeah you know i i made actually some notes all the way through this book that there are big chunks of this that are just 80s movies Mm -hmm. that i mean uh, obviously the robocop reference but you know the the plucky young kid who gets dragged into the fantasy world uh that he's a little bit too smart for his own good the allegorical novel or the allegorical story that he reads that informs the later thing. Like there's big pieces where it's just like, Oh yeah. Stephen King has kids in the eighties and he's watching all of these movies. Mm-hmm. Stephen King's watching legend. <laughs> um, but uh, which is very funny that this is his kind of like last swing at this kind of story mm-hmm. for a while. You know, he doesn't really do these like kid books yeah, for no. a while. So, you know, it's like a, he's like, all right, I'm going to write the ultimate young kid novel, and now I'm going to abandon it for a while. hmm. And then when I write more young kid novels, it's going to be about all those people and how they grew up and how their lives were terrible, <laughs> which, you know, he does three or four. Of, he's done three or four of those at this point. But anyway, so they draw him through. He pops through. He meets his fantasy dad. Mm hmm. Roland gets his fantasy son back. They, they have healed their torn psyches. Mm hmm. Oh, a uh, uh, fun thing to to see here is uh, Stephen King roasting people who interpret fiction. Uh huh. <laughs> That's really good. Do, do you want to talk about that? I can try to find it. Maybe. Uh,
0: you, you probably remember it more than I do. I just remember having this thought. I don't even remember the scene.
2: Oh, it's uh, uh, Jake. Jake has been—he uh, leaves school, but leaves his. Oh, like, that's yes. <laughs> stream of consciousness. The, the teacher,
3: <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yes,
2: and the teacher sends him his graded essay back, and it's an A plus because he thinks he's going to fail, and that's like causing him like this extreme distress because he goes to a place called the Piper School. You know, he's like he—he's supposed to be you know in the in like um uh like a Noah Bombach movie, right? Yes, you know, uh-huh. like he, hes one of those kids, and it like he he's afraid he's going to fail his exam. And so that alongside of his actual truly splitting psyche is like causing him distress. So he leaves his like modernist poem, uh, because he thinks he's wrote like a real essay, but he actually looks at it. He's like, Holy shit. This is full of choo-choo noises. What am I doing? He's like made a collage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So he like leaves. Um, anyway, so she grades it and, and you know, there are great moments here of like, uh, Adults who actually give a shit about kids, you know, it's not it's not his parents. His parents really don't care about him. It's mm-hmm. his teachers who like send these notes that are like, hey, uh, you know, test anxiety is real. You can just, we can figure it out. Don't worry about it. You know, come back to school. Everything will be fine. But she sends him his graded report back and she like is reading. She's analyzing the thing and she's like, of course, you know, Roland must be your fantasy dad or, you know, whatever. (laughs) She does all of these like very uh, English professor uh, interpretive moves, you know, Uh that Stephen King just absolutely hates, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the very thing we do on the show. Um, and, uh, it's just very funny, you know, it's, it's him getting his dig into the, the literary critics yet again. Mm -hmm. Um, which maybe is not shocking that I couldn't find very many reviews of the book, right? Like, (laughs) uh, this is also around when, uh, Stephen King took that big group of writers to the, uh, what the American library association dinner. I can't remember what dinner it was. No, the national book award ceremony, um, Around this time is when he bought the table and took, like, Clive Barker and, um, oh, uh, and Michael Crichton and maybe, uh, uh, we were talking about him earlier, the Southern guy. Oh, Grisham. Grisham. He, like, he bought a table and took all of those people to the National Book Award ceremony, <laughs> uh, to, like, their, you know, to the, the big dinner they do when they announce the awards. Uh-huh. Um, to, like, kind of spit in their face. That's around here. It's the late 80s, early 90s when that happens, uh, which is which is very funny. So this is him getting that dig in. Anyway, yeah. Jake comes through, and he becomes a little gunslinger, and we are on our way to the fantasy novel. And I guess the next thing that happens there is River Crossing, right?
0: Yeah, they they end up in a small town, uh, like a little ghost town. Uh, uh, it's very much like... Um, oh, God, what's the name of the town where Roland kills everyone?
1: Ooh... Tull.
0: Tull yeah, very much like Tull, like a a, a old west style like little frontier town or whatever uh except it's populated entirely by a group of elderly people, and they have a big old picnic dinner behind the church with them uh and those people have to hide uh most of the time because they live in the the vicinity of Ludd, which is the great city on the horizon. Uh, and then it's been racked with uh, war and strife uh, for the two different factions for the past however many decades. But uh, basically, they provide exposition for exactly how long that's been going on. Uh, and sort of the... the intimations of like the uh even beyond the warring factions right the the great horrors and nightmares that nest in lud uh which i actually think is is pretty effective right the, the ways that they describe um the trains right coming and going
2: mm-hmm. did you uh w- where do you think the the break is here do you think it's after jake like you were saying, you can evenly be split into two novels. Yeah, or I two think novellas. Yeah,
0: I think after Jake gets pulled, we have a break. And then the next novel begins with um, them going to River Crossing.
2: Right. Um, yeah, I think so, too. I just I, that's why I thought I was going to, mm-hmm. to complete the complete the thought there. Uh, yeah. I, what do you think about this encounter with all these old people? Because because it, it really is like Lore Dump City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the town of Lore Dumps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does, it, does it work for you? Does it not work? I... What is it? Aunt Talitha is the kind of big POV character, not POV character, but like the expository character here.
0: Yeah, the sort of like a uh, uh, little uh, leader of them. Uh, I think this is pretty good like it's interesting because it uh provides more texture to kind of like Roland's specific view of the world because they talk about uh the baronies right and offering mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. tributes up to the barons and the gu- and they they have a history of the gunslingers this is also what's really important about them is that like they see Roland with a kind of almost uh, religious awe right like a gunsling like uh uh you wish, right? You wish that people in Star Wars
2: reacted to the return of the Jedi <laughs> in this way. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very much like uh, they, they are turned to the Jedi here, mm-hmm. you know, in in terms of like they are a rumored and mystical people who uh, existed a long time ago. A long time ago in a long time ago in galaxy, far, far away, in mm-hmm. fact, uh, but have not been seen in these parts for like hundreds of years. And it does. It adds like interesting granularity to like what's happened because Roland has come from the uh, so there's in world, mid world, end world, right? Uh, it's not it's not out world. It's in world.
0: Yeah, in world, mid world, and end world. End world. Yeah. And just uh, to to, a- to be a, a for people who listening in i n world yes mid world and then end e n d
2: world right. The uh I'll let you say for people listening it, it, as if there's a video uh-huh. <laughs> like a video element. For those who are watching the live feed, you know. <laughs> uh because I'm holding up a sign. But <laughs> for the um, second secret Patreon I run. <laughs> yeah. The uh but but what's fascinating is like when he went through Toll, no there was no gunslinger mythology shit going on there. Mm-hmm. It was just some guy. Yeah. Uh at least as far as I remember. So uh, but so there, it's fascinating to me that you also get some comparative granularity there. And I imagine if you're reading these books all in a row, either that makes you have some questions or makes you or or really builds out for you. For me, it kind of builds out where it's like, oh, so the closer you got to Gilead, where where um Roland's from, the less interesting the gunslingers are, mm-hmm. you know, because they're kind of just cops. Right. Yeah. You know, they're they are the they're knights. Quite literally, they are the sword arm of the people who rule that region mm-hmm. and the further out you get, the more mythological they get. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting and we will get a lot more, uh, explanation to this, a lot more lore, you know, capital L lore about this as we go. But I, but I agree there's a, there's enough of a hinty hint here that it feels, uh, It feels really good Mm -hmm. uh, because they they are the Jedi.
0: Right. Well, and one of the things that makes it work for me is that uh, my always took it as sort of playing into the way that time is broken. Yeah. Right. That like, uh, you know, maybe what's going on in Tull is like time is broken in such a way that these people are so far beyond the time of Roland that it's not even significant that there would be a gunslinger. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the gunslinger is barely even a memory. Um, whereas here we're, you know, th- the fact that they have memories of the barony and offering tribute and stuff. And oh, that, that, where she talks about, uh, the last time they, uh, took their, uh, uh, taxes or whatever, right? The tribute to the barony and they arrived and the whole thing was just like broken. Like everyone was dead. Like that's yeah. so great. That's so, so awesome.
2: Yeah. And it had been, it seems like it had, uh, been abandoned for a long time. Mm hmm. Um, Yeah, I also maybe it's here. I don't remember where, but it's another '80s movie thing where someone's like
1: Outlander, (laughs) Uh,
2: and I it it, like when I was reading it, and even now I cannot remember what movie. Um, Please, someone tell me. Please, someone tweet at me. It might be Mad Max where they where they call him Outlander (laughs) repeatedly. I think so. I don't. I don't remember. It feels like it's Mad Max, but I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, but but so right. It's even the language of the of the era Mm -hmm. that it's written. Um, the, uh, yeah, but, you know, I like that we get this, like, history of the region here, too, you know, Mm -hmm. and how long things have been going on, and then I forget her name, but the, the blind woman who knows more because she can hear, you know, this is, again, Stephen King's Uh whole thing of, like, you know, it's, it's the, I think the common belief, right, you lose a sense and your other senses get stronger, stronger, and I don't know if that's true or not, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but Stephen King loves to do
1: this. Uh-huh. You know,
2: if if you if you are um uh, disabled in some way or you are uh harmed in some way or you know uh maimed in a way, then you're other you just get some benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's all kind of a rerun at uh uh, uh m o o n that spells moon. God, what's uh Tom Cullen? Tom Cullen. I I don't know why I can never remember Tom <laughs> Cullen.
0: Yeah, she can, um... She can, like, hear the train running and stuff when other people can't. Yeah. Uh, oh, and it's so good, like, when they talk about, like, the the horrible sounds. So they, there's, like, a train that runs in and out of Lud, and they know the the katet Ka, by the way, gets a whole explanation from Roland here. It's not just, like... Uh, The uh, wishy-washy aspirations of fate that we had before. Uh, Now it's more like uh, destiny or doom, right? Twining people together. Uh, This includes not just uh, Roland, uh, Eddie, Susanna, and Jake, but also, also, can't believe we haven't talked about him yet, the animal companion. Oi, the Billy Bumbler. Uh, Billy Bumblers are kind of like some sort of uh, beautiful 80s movie sidekick, dog, <laughs> badger
2: creature from Roland's yeah. world. Yeah. Well, they talk about the Dark Crystal more than one time in this book. And he Oye is like, what if you had a wonderful dog and a wonderful raccoon? And it was also that little gremlin from uh-huh. <laughs> the Dark Crystal.
3: wow. Yeah,
0: Uh, so so there's like a little dog guy here now. Uh, He'll we'll talk about him. Maybe not more now, but he's here through the rest of the books.
2: (laughs) Um, You can do math. He's also another character that you can abuse to make the audience feel bad. Yeah, he is literally the dog to kick. Yeah, if uh, if you get tired of uh, beating a child, then you uh get a little weird little uh somehow more human dog to, to beat. Yeah, like yeah, what if a dog uh could literally uh imitate rudimentary
0: human speech to tell you how unhappy it was?
2: Yeah, what if a dog could do math?
0: Uh-huh. Uh So, anyhow, uh, yeah, we get, we get that whole thing about, uh, Ka as, uh, this, this force that's kind of, like, guiding everything and making sure everything plays out in the way that it's supposed to, um, but then, uh, there's, they're trying to describe the, uh, so they know that they are going to Lud for the train, like, there's a train in Lud. that's what Charlie the Choo-Choo is all a kind of, like, foreshadowing of, uh, you know, Stephen King's version of circumstantial simultaneity, Um, and they, uh, are talking with the people in River Crossing about how, like, you know, the, the, the thing used to leave the city. Like they, the way that they talk about it is just so good because you know, it's a train, but they treat it with kind of this, uh, uh, terrified superstition and particularly like the sounds it would make. And Eddie realizes like, oh, it's like traveling at supersonic speed. And like the noises they're describing are the sonic booms that it makes when it takes
2: off. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's really good. And we get all this kind of like uh, 80s post-apocalyptic film stuff going on here, too, that there's been some sort of what they think was maybe a nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Um, But and and, uh, Aunt Talitha explicitly is like, yeah, it was radiation (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. radiation. But, you know, we get we get some fallout Brahmin. We get some two headed cattle, two headed bison here. Uh We get some uh, there's there are twins and they're albino Uh um, or or they have albinism. I don't I don't know the exact way to phrase that. But uh, right. So there are these kind of um, signifiers of the world gone away. And this is like really in Stephen King's wheelhouse of like good normative bodies are good and bad. Non-normative bodies are bad. Mm hmm. Um, there's something really fascinating here that I was thinking about when we got to Ludd in this book, which is that Stephen King really does have like a straight up hierarchy of disability mm. and like, what is an okay disability and what's a bad disability. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, these are in big quotation marks as far as I'm concerned, but like it's, it's a hierarchy of like importance in narrative, which is that if you were born an able-bodied person whose like bloodline is pure and non-irradiated, but you are then disabled after that you're good. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is Susanna, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Susanna's legs are gone at the knee or slightly above the knee. I can't remember exactly where. And so there's uh, like a huge amount of this novel is dedicated to like, well, what do you do with Susanna's wheelchair? And is she being carried in a harness? And uh, how does she go from point A to point B? Um, you know, not having legs, which is interesting. And, and uh there's a world in which you w- would imagine that Stephen King would just magically give her her legs back. Yeah. Uh and he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yet. Uh so, you know, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Mhm. The uh, but then it's like but if you were born uh genetically impure you're bad. Yeah. You know. Uh you know, if you're an explosive dwarf or if you are a you uh, person or an infected pube Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there it, it's a real uh we've talked about this on our other show too much future you know like uh, the goblins and orcs theory of the universe yeah <laughs> uh Stephen king's got a goblins and orcs theory of the universe right it's like you're a protagonist and, you, and you're good or you're a noble normative bodied human being and you're good or you're a fucking mutant uh-huh. and uh you you are excisable from the universe and it's like a real easy way of thinking the world you mm-hmm. know, in terms of like setting up your fantasy fiction or setting up your uh your science fiction, but it, it really sticks out in this book.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, because we get to Lud and like uh you know, things like uh the fact that Gasher has some sort of uh like venereal disease. Right? He's got like super yeah. syphilis.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's a hyper hyper syphilis. Yeah. And also that like the genetically pure and good uh TikTok man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still warped and evil in the brand. I mean he's he's kinda like a fake Randall flag in that way. Well
0: and he's uh, he's he's a little odd because he's huge. Right? Right. He's he's right. like he's big in a way that is like it might be like, oh, he could just be a big guy, but he's like notably big in a way that makes you have some questions based on, like, everything else around him, right? We know we're in a world where, like, uh you mentioned the the explosive dwarf, right? They see him come running down the street, and they, they're like, what's that? <laughs> they call him Little Lord, Lord Fauntleroy because he's wearing, like, uh, uh fancy clothes. <laughs> they're like, what's right. that little boy in the fancy clothes doing? Oh, no, that's a dwarf holding a grenade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an
2: evil dwarf with a grenade.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh... So we we know that that's going on, and he's uh, the TikTok man who is like sort of the leader of, uh, is it the pubes or the greys? It no, doesn't matter. It's The greys. It's the greys. Uh, okay.
2: Let me. Can I give you a little uh, shortcut here oh, for the pubes sure, and the greys? Sure. Great. The pubes are the Eloy. Uh, the greys are the Morlocks.
0: Uh-huh. Uh huh. The pe- Look straight up. Uh huh. The people who live in the tunnels versus the people who live on the streets. Okay.
2: Yeah. And the people who live on the streets live in their like little pocket world where they believe that that the drums are telling them what to do. uh, And they have all these like um, fears about the, you know, the underground and getting near the sewers and the uh, people underground like kind of know what's up Mm -hmm. and, you know, are a little bit smarter and they manage the machines and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, it's it is that structure.
3: Yeah,
0: we haven't even mentioned that. That one of the things is like once they get close to Lud, they can hear like these drum beats that just start up at seemingly random times, and it's really mm-hmm. cool and ominous. Uh,
2: well, uh, before before we talk about Grayson Pubes, let's yeah. just close the door on River Crossing. Really oh, okay. Quick. Yeah, they leave. Uh huh. They they have like a real delicious meal, and then they leave. They and they get all this kind of lore that we're talking about. Notably, the the big thing that they learn is that there are uh, there's a monorail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back and forth at the uh, kind of in the direction that they came, essentially, mm-hmm. like to the northeast. Mm.
0: I mean, it, but the directions don't really make sense here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the way they came, mm-hmm. back the way they came, and it's on the other side of the river, and uh, it doesn't run anymore. Mm-hmm. They know that, and but the 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 uh blinded woman. Uh, who has really good hearing? She says that she can hear another train, or could it's at one point hear another train on the other side of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and she could hear it sonic boom because they were they were moving faster than uh, the, they were breaking the sound barrier mm-hmm. as trains. And so, armed with that knowledge, Jake is like, Uh oh, I know all about this shit. I know that there's a thing called Blaine the Mono, you know, based on his like stream of consciousness poem thing he wrote and also Charlie the Choo Choo and he's he's like yes I know there's an evil train that we need to board that's on the other side of the city and so that's you know kind of the closing out of that Aunt Talitha gives Roland uh, a cross mm-hmm. which really aligns like the white you know this kind of like good nebulous nice energy it aligns it kind of with a pretty explicit Christianity um, uh, you know we already know about the Jesus man from Uh the gunslinger, you know, that we know that there's some sort of like version of Christianity running around in this world. Um, and, uh, then they send them on their way and Jake cries about it. And this is maybe one of the better parts of the novel where Jake's like, why can't we stay and help them? They're so old. Uh huh. Like, and Eddie, you know, who's a little bit of a Roland, right? He's like, well, if we stay today, then we realize that we ate so much of their food that we need to help them do that. And that means we'll leave tomorrow, but then it'll be too late to leave tomorrow. So we'll leave the next day. And then we'll realize they don't have enough firewood. So we need to cut firewood. And then we realize, and so he basically says like, you know, if you, if you stop to help all the people in this world who need help, you will never go anywhere because everyone in the world needs help. Mm -hmm. And this is where Roland really explicitly says, yeah, that's what's up, right? Like there is a big, there's a big good thing you could do for everyone, which is restore the tower mm-hmm. or or fix what's happening You know, fix the rot at the heart of the world. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that helps everyone. Helping them to get firewood does nothing for everyone. Mm hmm. And so we get Roland the Utilitarian here. Uh, the eff- uh, effective altruism Roland. Yes. Uh, it, 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 it is better to shoot your way through hundreds of people in the city of Lud than to help one old woman <laughs> collect like firewood in the city of uh, of River Crossing. But that also gives you some, some granularity to Roland, right? Like it's a good quest and it's a noble quest and it's a quest that requires suffering because it ultimately is the best for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so anyway, then we get that, you know, this kind of introduction to Ludd. They see that the train that was going in the direction that they came, it's a blue train and it is in the river uh-huh. because it's river has, or it's, uh, uh, track has collapsed.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so they go, uh Oh, what about the other one? And they say, well, there's gotta be a second train. They try to cross the George Washington bridge, mm-hmm. which is somehow here in Midworld. Yep. Lud maybe is New York. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. It's, maybe it's, it's, the it's Midwest. It is
0: described as looking a lot like New York, uh, but it is sort of locationally centered in what would seem to be this world's version of Missouri.
1: <laughs> right, right.
2: Um, and they go across it, and it's a lot of peril. This is perhaps the most boring part of the whole book, Uh-huh. because it's just about people crossing a bridge, mm-hmm. <laughs> including <laughs> Oi. Yeah, including including Oi, the the little raccoon dog, and uh, I, I guess he's kind of, he's a little tanuki. Yeah, he is. Yeah. They don't they don't talk about his balls once. No. <laughs> Oh, you know another thing about Oi that's uh, very funny is that Roland explicitly says that Oi must have been too annoying for the other yes! Billy Bumblers because he talks too much, and so they must have driven him out of their society.
0: Yeah, because they find him and he's been like injured in fights and things. Uh, yeah.
2: They've driven him out because he talks too much.
0: Also, I just want to make a quick remark that I love how Billy Bumblers are invented entirely in this book. Like, there's a bit early on where uh, Roland says something like, well, I must be a son of a Billy Bumbler. And then, like, 200 pages later, uh, this thing shows up and Roland's like, well, that's a
2: Billy Bumbler, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing I mentioned before. Yeah. The Billy Bumbler. Yeah. Yeah. and he also says he won't eat them. I, I love that, too, that, like, uh, uh, Stephen King has to lay track here for why in the moments of, like, suffering and danger and starvation that they go through in their trek to the Dark Tower, why they won't just shoot their dog and eat him. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, the meat is tough and sour. I would rather eat dog. And then Susanna's like, you eat dog, Roland? And he doesn't say anything. <laughs> uh, you, you, Yeah, it's a real, real moment but uh yeah so they all get across and lo and behold while they're concentrating on getting across the rotten bridge uh a gremlin sinks up with a hand grenade mm-hmm. the first of, of two people with hand grenades uh-huh uh in in 100 pages or so mm-hmm. uh and he kidnaps jake and this is gasher and this is to the point where you were talking about before
0: yeah uh gasher uh steals jake because uh the like, people aren't having kids anymore. Like, that's, that's like, a, a, an important thing. Like, this is why the two factions in the city have uh, aged as they have, right? They're not, like... Children aren't being born and, like, maturing and everything. So everyone is kind of just, like, aging into obsolescence.
2: So Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? Um, Ghostbusters? Old men running the world. <laughs> Old men are the future. <laughs> oh, I, did, I, oh, I don't think we said it too. Uh, Grays and Pubes, they are they are uh, Morlocks and Eloy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But the Pubes are the descendants of the people who tried to hold the city against the kind of assailing hordes. Right.
0: Like the barbarians, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And then the barbarians are the Grays, who were harriers. And they're just called Grays and Pubes because the people who lived in the city were mostly younger than the people who were assaulting the city. Right. And the wild part about it is, is like we get a whole little eighties movie in here. Uh, It's like a fantasy or a science fiction novel that Stephen King would never write, which is that like some people came to join the pubes in the city. Some people went through the, you know, the, the troubles and tribulations to present themselves unarmed at the bridge to join the faction at the end of the world who were the final defenders of civilization. Uh this is by the by the way, it's the Road Warrior. Uh-huh. Like, right? Uh-huh. It's like the little enclave that's assailed on all sides by Marauders. Uh-huh. It's 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 just the Road Warrior. Yep. Um I like the story too about how the Greys eventually took the city.
0: Yeah. And uh yeah, the 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 whole thing is great for how well it uh gestures at the pointlessness of it all. Yeah. Right. The fact that they are so hard to tell apart now and like they're both like, you know, it started out as this conflict about who lives in the city, who's defending the city and who's invading. And now, like, they're just both like both factions are in the city. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, some of them just live in the sewers and some of them live on the streets
2: now. Yeah. And they. Uh, yeah. And some have like this bloodline. So the TikTok man who who have mentioned already, he's the leader of the Greys. Uh, he's the grandson or great-grandson of David Quick. Yeah, who was like the leader. This thing is so interesting. Yeah. Uh,
0: the leader of the Harriers who like, when, when they're in River Crossing, like they, they hurt the uh, one of the guys there mentions the rumor that David Quick took uh, one of the old ones metal birds into the sky or whatever. And they're like, shut up you idiot. That's a fairy tale. Uh, and then on the road into Ludd, they find a crashed uh, World War to, uh, like a Nazi plane, like it has yeah. a swastika on the wing, and there's a, um, uh, like a corpse, right? A massive, like, skeleton, like, mummified skeleton, uh, sitting behind it, and they realize, like, oh, this was the David Quick guy, right? The Bandit King.
2: Yeah, they, who was a giant. Yes. Uh, a giant, a Nazi airplane. Mm-hmm. And then we get our second, uh, as far as I know, in the Kingaverse, second mention of the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) We just got Langoliered, Uh and now it's like, yeah, the Nazis must have flown into the Bermuda Triangle. Right, right? yeah. Or something like that. And it zapped their plane over here. Yeah. But yeah, I love the idea, like, the the little things we get about David Quick, like this giant of a man who united, you know, all of these marauding hordes into an army to assault the city it's it's a cool little like science fiction story that's kind of buried in here and then it ties up to the roland's uh david and goliath story Mm -hmm. about lord perth right uh yeah like i I love that
0: stuff whenever roland has like a version of a story from our world that's just like slightly different
2: yeah, it just uh, you know it it sings together,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and I really do think it's because there is a really solid structure of like dad feelings mm-hmm. in here, mm-hmm. and because of that 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 uh, bedrock of dad feelings, uh, he can build on top of that with all these stories. Because the TikTok man and David, uh, not David Firth, <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Quick, uh, but that that's just a story about dads, right? That's mm-hmm. a story about that the TikTok man. Wants to be as powerful and important and as, you know, honestly, genetically pure mm-hmm. uh, and remain as genetically pure as his great grandfather. He wants to control the city in the way that his grandfather or great grandfather should have. Right. Um, and that's very explicit here. It's just more dad feelings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he like so they they take Jake because they want to train up Jake. Uh, this is the TikTok man who is part of the uh, uh, the greys uh, who are mm-hmm. under under the city living in the tunnels uh they take yeah. Jake
2: in their version of 12 monkeys
0: yes uh huh very much uh they they want to like basically train Jake up in their ways uh and also the tiktok man is of the i guess not unfounded uh impression that Jake knows something about computers And will help him take control of the computers of Lud, which, uh, no one else, no one really understands, uh, Mm. the Greys only just, like, the Greys have slightly the upper hand because they understand that they're computers, whereas the pubes who live on the streets, they just think they're all demons, um, and frankly, like, in this world, the distinction between demon and computer is very, very thin, uh, but... Uh, the TikTok man is, you said he's, he's like, you know, kind of this version of Randall Flagg very much, right? He is Randall Flagg in Vegas. Uh, the guy who draws in the engineers, who's going to get the war machine started again. Uh, all of that stuff. Like those are, that's his character. Those are his aspirations.
2: Yep. And so Gasher takes, you know, he steals Jake and Roland and Oi are on the, on the chase. And at the same time that that is happening, uh, Eddie and Susanna have to go find Blaine the Mono. They got to go to the Cradle of Mm Blood. And they got to find Blaine and and see if they can get the train to take them somewhere. Mm -hmm. What do you think about Blaine in Little Blaine?
0: Oh, I fucking love Blaine. Like (laughs) Blaine is like apex anything in a Stephen King novel for me. Anything in any novel. Like, uh, again, you know, I cannot overstate uh, reading this book uh, back in the early 2000s and being like, this is what the Dark Tower can be. Uh, they come to the Cradle of Lud, which is like in this plaza. And of course, Lud is like absolutely destroyed, like uh, uh, totally in ruins. But the Cradle, which is what they call like the train station is immaculate like it's been maintained by all of these automated systems throughout the the centuries or the millennia or whatever uh and also like no one wants to go near it because people who go near it get killed like blaine lives there people know that blaine lives there and they know that blaine will kill you there's uh they meet two of the um pubes who they make them lead them to the to the cradle Uh, and the pubes are like, oh, you shouldn't go in there. You should absolutely not go in there because so-and-so went in there and like, uh, he talked to Blaine and Blaine spoke in his voices, right? That's how it said, like Blaine spoke in his voices. It's such a great way of putting it. And then he like fried him,
2: right? He like caught the guy on fire somehow. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It basically Blaine can emanate electricity from anything and and annihilate you. Mm Mm-hmm it's kind of a deal
0: and the uh the the cradle itself is so cool because it's it's huge ostentatious right it's it's like a, this perfect symbol of what the old one civilization was like um and then they have the the statues of the guardians the various animals uh around the edge right like the the they're like instead of gargoyles uh and then in the mm-hmm. very center is a big i think golden statue of a gunslinger and eddie mm-hmm. looks at it and he's like
2: that's roland yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, because he's, like, on a horse or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's, like, Napoleon, uh, c- and he also has a machine gun, yes. I think. Uh-huh. C- but it's, like, basically, you know, the, you know, Napoleon on the horse. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, but a gunslinger with a machine gun in his hands. Mm-hmm. Which is very
3: cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, and then they get in, and they, like, can see Blaine. Uh, uh Well, actually, there's another thing where they, they get inside, and all of the, um there are like faces carved into uh like the the like the molding of the train station of the cradle and they don't they don't know who they are right it's like clearly these were important figures in the past but like there's like a cruelty to all of them again there's something about the old ones society was wrong right something was like that these were the these were their heroes these were the people that they memorialized Um, and then there's like a gate to, uh, Blaine's platform and it's locked and they can't get through it. And there's some sort of weird video game puzzle that they have to solve. Uh, right. It's an, it's an adventure game puzzle, right? It's like they walk into the seventh guest.
2: (laughs) It really is. And then literally the puzzle is revealed. It's just find all the prime numbers and (laughs) hit them backward. It's the most video game ass thing you could do. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, but like through the, through the gate, they can see Blaine and Blaine is asleep. Uh, And it's just this, like, big pink train. And the way he's described, he's made out of some material, like some sort of metal or plastic that is, like, seamless and it looks almost fleshly. Um, And he's pink. Yes, right. Uh, And, like, when they wake him up and he just, like, speaks in all caps... Uh, and then there's little Blaine, which is kind of like the, the smaller voice that inside of him that, uh, speaks in italics, right? The, the sort of part of him that is not evil, right? That's, uh, cause I can't remember how they wake him up, but like little Blaine comes through and is like, don't do it. Don't wake him up. Don't make him angry. And then Blaine is like, what are you doing here? Uh, oh, I love that. Like that whole thing. And like the, the other thing that is great about Blaine is that he does celebrity
2: impressions. (laughs) Yeah, and he's aware of like the different worlds too, and and he has knowledge of the tower,
3: um, mm-hmm. uh,
2: which, which is and like implies that the different levels of the tower are the different worlds, mm-hmm. which which is
0: interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also like, uh, in in the terms of the novel, he is insane, right? uh we get a long oh yeah
2: absolutely yeah we get like yeah.
0: we get a, de- a description of uh how blaine over like the millennia his systems have degraded to the point where the the thing that he possesses that would be called a mind is insane uh and it is entirely a riff on the opening paragraph of Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House right oh yeah right no yeah. live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality yeah um and so i just the the, the fact that, like, Blaine is this self-aware AI train uh, who turns out to be obsessed with riddles, like he wants to uh, be told riddles or he wants to tell people riddles, uh, and he is murderous, uh, it turns out he's kind of like, he's he's been sleeping this entire time. Um, because he treats the people of Lud as his playthings, uh, he, -hmm. he's kind of like an AI that's been in control of all of this, all of the remaining systems of Lud for however long, uh, and he's kind of let the, 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 the drums that the people keep hearing, uh, that the pubes on the streets think are, like, sacrificial drums, like, the drums start, and Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we have to do Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, right, we have to pick someone to get killed. Yep. Um, because that's what the drums mean. The drums mean that the demons in, in the city want to sacrifice. Uh, the grays underneath know that that's just, like, an automated thing, and, like, it's, it's, a uh, uh, Eddie recognizes it as the drum track from ZZ Top's Velcro Fly. It's just all of the music, all of the vocals stripped out except for the drums. Uh, but then it turns out, I think, that, like, Blaine is implied to have basically set that up because it was amusing. Uh, yeah, and he's just rude, right? He's doing all this stuff. And then he also like does like a a Humphrey Bogart impression.
2: Uh, he, he does. He does Bogart and he does uh, John Wayne. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, you know, and Blaine is also he's he's the machine from I have no mouth and I must scream. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, hey, uh-huh. he's just a manipulative evil asshole. Yes, because he's bored and he, he killed Patricia. Mm hmm. What a funny name for a train.
0: Right. Patricia is the other train uh, that they see that like ran off the track, uh, who also, I think, you know, went like computer crazy. Uh, but then he like casuals her into committing
2: train suicide. Well, yeah, that that's the interesting thing. And I, I, I can't remember if we get a little bit more of this in the fourth book, but the the way that I took this originally when I read it or the, the impression I had going into this read and he says some of the stuff and i don't know if i invented the other part or if it's in the other book and i've just forgotten mm-hmm. but that patricia like she was lonely mhm like cuz that's what he says he says she was so lonely and that she and she cried all the time mhm and because she cried all the time he just killed her mhm like like he allows her to he gets rid of the system that would keep her from throwing herself off the rails right and so she dies. And so, you know, it's like, ah, oh, did she kill herself or did Blaine just kill her? Right. <laughs> Straight up, you know, by removing the system that would have kept her from flying off the bridge at the speed of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah. Also, Patricia. There's just something I, I don't. Patricia know and Blaine. That. In Blaine, yeah. They, they're so specific. And so I never would get there in a million years, mm-hmm. you know. It's a real Kingian thing. hmm Uh, but yeah, he's just this rude guy and, uh, Roland goes down into the, oh, so, you know, this is really great kind of parallel cross cutting, right? Because on one hand, um, Eddie and Susanna have this, they meet Blaine and they got to do Blaine's puzzle Mm -hmm. basically, uh, which is this prime number puzzle that they have to use Detta Walker (laughs) as the superpower to understand what a prime number is. Mm Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you've got Jake, uh, you know, Jake being kidnapped, and then um, Roland pursuing him. It ultimately ends up that he's in the room with the TikTok man, who says all the stuff that we've been talking about. The TikTok man, uh, he really wants to control the computers, the dipolar computers mm-hmm. at the the you know the heart of the the city, so that he can control everything. Little do they know that all of these people are just being manipulated by Blaine right. for his desires, right? And so Roland can't get into. The like locked chamber where Jake is being, uh, you know, is having to fight the TikTok man and his mini grays. And we find out that Blaine just opens the door. Yeah. Because Blaine wants to like this is novel and fun for Blaine, Mm -hmm. uh, who's been bored for a very long time. And so he opens the door. Jake shoots the TikTok man in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they leave. Yep. Yep, yep, yep.
0: Uh, and at this point, like, things are really kicking off because Blaine is like, oh, we're, we're like, something's happening. Time to release my deadly neurotoxin. <laughs> right, which is where you get, this is where I saw, I was like, oh, they were definitely thinking of this when they uh, were writing Portal. Uh, it feels like it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just this uh, uh you know the the crazed ai that speaks in like modulating voices uh that is also talking about he's just like as like just so you know like once i release my deadly neurotoxin you will have 12 minutes to solve my riddle and board the train <laughs> like <laughs> yep uh so yeah they they go running off through they get to the platform uh uh they get on like they're, they're also very upset with Blaine they're like why are you killing everyone and he's like why would i not kill everyone i'm bored Uh, and they get on the train, uh, and it zips off through the town, and, like, the train is so cool because, uh, it goes transparent. They can see, like, the city around them as, like, the neurotoxin is being released, and it's just, like, killing everyone. All the pubes, all the greys, uh, and they're just, like, floating over the city watching all of this destruction. And then they leave, uh, and, uh they've uh, made the agreement with Blaine that they will like tell him riddles because those are things that he likes. Uh, and, uh, we can talk a little bit more about maybe what's going on there because they are going to go out and they're going to, they need the train to cross the wastelands, which is like the area even further beyond Lud that is even more inhospitable to life. Um, it's another, mm-hmm. it's the talisman again, right? Taking the little train right. across the the broken, war-torn landscape filled with mutants. Um
2: Yes, but it's like uh doubled up on, right? because there it is a nuclear wasteland, right mm-hmm. you know they're they're experiencing radiation poisoning mm-hmm. um and that whatever that growth is on that kid, yeah. um but here it's like they look down and they literally say. Well, that couldn't have been a nuclear weapon. This is something worse. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like,
0: because there's, it's like, it's monsters from the mist, right? They're seeing like the creatures from the mist, like scuttling around down in the canyons and shit. And Eddie's like, this was not just a nuclear war. And Blaine is like, it was not. And they're like, what do you mean by that? And he just laughs and doesn't say anything more.
2: Yeah, they're like crack reality, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's other universes scuttling through. There's like big bugs and shit. Yeah, I, I love that. It's like giant flesh creatures that eat littler flesh creatures. And then it's like and then a big bug went by. Yeah, a large beetle
0: when they see like little groups of things that look almost like people and they're like dancing yeah. and things.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, it's scary
0: down there. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, back underneath Ludd, uh, the TikTok man who got shot in the face but was not killed, uh, is lying there dying, and he's remembering his father taking him to uh, the Apple Cider Press in a in some long-forgotten, you know, autumn day, and how he, that was like one of his, yeah. his one good memory or whatever.
2: Well, it's such a good thing, too, because it is, uh, it's a great demonstration that for everyone, there was a time when the world had not moved on. Uh-huh. Like, what a boomer ass thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? But, but I mean, that really is the thing here that, like, we know factually that for a thousand years, LUD has sucked. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a war torn hellscape, objectively. But in uh, the TikTok men's, uh, Andrew is his name. Mm hmm. Uh, in his childhood, there were, there was sweet apple cider, and it was good, and the world was okay. The world had not yet moved on in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great little great little moment, but anyway, yeah, so that yeah. that moment happened that happens, and then uh
0: someone steps out of the darkness and tells him that he has
2: some work to do. You know i in in all of my time, I've read this book three or four times, probably. And recently, within maybe a year and a half or two years of starting the show, I read all the Dark Tower books. So it's Mm -hmm. more fresh than most of these books are in my head. And I don't think I'd ever noticed that he is explicitly Randall Flagg from the stand.
0: Oh, yeah. Like this was another thing that made this book really hit for me. And I think it's what what was notable to me about rereading it this time was that I had been on the Stephen King listservs for years i had been hanging out in the chat rooms talking with like big dark tower fans huge stephen king fans for years and no one had spoiled this for me somehow like it was never talked about like by the way in the wastelands randall flag from the stand shows up
2: yeah he explicitly references the trash can man (laughs) right he makes
0: he makes a tiktok man or Andrew, he makes it he's like, You have you should say something for me. It's uh something an old friend of mine used to say before he betrayed me. My life for mm-hmm. you. Uh and this was like well, the, M- Michael the, like the, jumping up like, ah, oh,
2: hell yeah. <laughs> I love it when they reference the trash came in. Well, it's even uh weirdly enough, it like kind of backfills some interesting stuff from uh uh from because the end of the stand is ambiguous, right? Mm-hmm. uh it, what does my life for you mean, right? Like is it that the trash can man uh over asserts his fidelity for Randall Flagg and then blows him up mm-hmm. right, or is it that he is like an accidental counter agent the whole time right? you know who is you right? right you know we've we've talked about that in both of the stand episodes we've done. Um, this is, this is Randall flag straight up. Randall flag is on five sixty of my book. If you want to thank me, as I'm sure you do, you must say something an old acquaintance of mine used to say he ended up betraying me, but he was a good friend for quite some time anyway. And I still have a soft spot in my heart for him. Say my life for you, Andrew. Can you say that? And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, it has legit. That has actually clarified an ambiguity at the end of the stand, you know, and we don't have to take that as a clarification. It's a different work. Uh, this might be some alternate Randall flag, and also you don't have to trust the author, right? Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that it's explicitly called a betrayal here, as opposed to, uh, you know, he accidentally blew me up, uh-huh. which is another way of interpreting that, right? He loved me so much that he exploded me, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one way of taking it. But betrayed is very notable, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Yeah, and so this uh, is just like, this is the moment when, like, the king of Earth snaps together, right? Yeah. Yeah, like Randall Flagg has stepped out of the stand and into this uh, uh, broader, longer work. Uh, all of these offhand references to the other things that have been going on um, suddenly take on new significance because Randall Flagg is here and he is on track to uh, meet Roland the gunslinger.
2: Well, there's another snapping together too mm-hmm. earlier that you, you picked up on that maybe too
0: uh are you talking about when eddie reads the first book
2: uh no oh okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. no the uh garland garland gets mentioned twice uh it, and so garland is the place where flag in the eyes of the dragon mm-hmm. gets uh his you know whatever the the sand right uh the murder sand and so garland here like Roland knows Garland, and it's kind of like the fantasy Middle East, it sounds, mm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because he says that they have darker skin tones um, and. Uh, oh, no, it's it's in the eyes of the dragon where they talk about them having flying carpets and stuff. Right. I think. Mm-hmm. And so there's a continu an explicit continuity here between all of that as well. So uh, it, there are kind of two moments where the Dark Tower is locking in previous work. If you listen to our other show, Homestuck Made This World, you can hear us saying quite a lot about the way that you use uh, future work to make previous work lock into continuity. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always write into the future. You can always use uh, work as you're writing it to bring in things from the past and make them coherent in a way that they weren't coherent before. The Wastelands is making a lot of things coherent that weren't quite coherent before. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the relationship between Flag and the Eyes of the Dragon and Flag in the the stand? Well, uh, that's getting a lot more clear, I think, here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in addition
0: to Homestuck Made This World, we have many other fine shows here on the Range Touch Network, which (laughs) you can find out about if you go to rangetouch.com. These include not just, uh, you know, just King Things, Homestuck Made This World, but Game Study Study Buddies. Uh, too much future, which has a lot of. Uh, I think we've already mentioned it, but has a lot of uh, ruminations on the post-apocalypse and how you write post-apocalyptic fiction, and, and sort of what uh are the stakes there. Um, check those things out. I think you'll have a good time if you like this show, uh, and you should also consider supporting us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Range Touch, where for just a, a little bit of money, uh, you can support us in our work, but you can also get loads of bonus content and in particular, Just King Things bonus episodes where we discuss film adaptations of Stephen King's works. This month, Cameron and I are discussing, speaking of making things lock together retroactively, uh, that's actually not a thing that's going to lock together retroactively for us for another couple of years, but we are discussing mm-hmm. the uh, 1979 TV miniseries version of Salem's Lot, um, which is going to, I-, I promise you, if you don't know any of this stuff, Uh, Salem's Lot is going to become critical to the Kingiverse at a a point in the future. Uh, The miniseries, not so much, but I can say that it is a pretty damn good miniseries, and I think we have a really good discussion about that. The other thing that you can do to help us uh, is that you can review this podcast and tell people about it. Uh, Getting reviews and uh, particularly five-star reviews really helps surface us on uh, various algorithms, various platforms. And if you go to the Apple Podcasts website and leave a five-star review, that is also funny. There is a chance that Cameron will read it out loud on air, like now.
2: This is from Vivian Burning's five-star reviews. Of course, I will only uh, read a five-star review. A great podcast about boilers. Did you know that boilers are metaphors? Did you know that they are, in fact, perfect metaphors? (laughs) Metaphors for what? You'll have to listen to find out. Hmm. This is from Fofo the Swiss Rapper. Five stars. I think Bob Dylan is okay. This podcast is both the insight to recognize a fanciful machine elves illusion and the wisdom to reference a Waypoint podcast from five years ago. You truly need both. Five stars. Thanks to everyone who leaves a five star review. Yeah, thank you so
0: much. Uh, And so Randall Flagg shows up.
2: Yep, Randall Flagg shows up Uh, and then kind of makes some linkages between other things. I do know that this is like a uh, at the point where the fourth book was out, which is where the fourth book was out by the when I read all of these Mm -hmm. and uh, the next one was not. Uh, and so you know, I was on like the probably the internet, it had to be the internet, you know, reading Stephen <laughs> King fan theories. You weren't on thinking, the AM like, radio, what, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I, I wonder where I would have learned this if not the internet, right? Um, so it had to be, but uh, you know, probably at school, but uh, you know, unsupervised on the internet, reading Stephen King uh, forums more than likely, but uh, th- this thing where Randall Flagg. Kind of asserts or um, I i don't know, like makes he's like, you know, sometimes I go by these other names, mm-hmm. you know, like I think Martin isn't isn't Martin one of those. Uh, I think so. I don't I don't remember exactly now, but he also says like the ageless stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Like some
0: people call me Merlin, and even though I wasn't him, that's fine.
2: Right. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been called the Angel Stranger, the man said. He began to walk toward TikTok, and and as he did, the man on the floor moaned and tried to scrabble backward. I've also been called Merlin or Merlin, and who cares because I was never that one, although I never denied it either. I'm sometimes called the Magician or the Wizard, but I hope that we can go forward together on more humble terms, Andrew, more human terms. He pushed back the hood, revealing a fair, broad, brown face that was not, for all its pleasant looks, in any way human large hectic roses rode the wizard's cheekbones his blue green eyes sparkled with a gusty joy far too wild to be sane his blue black hair stood up in zany clumps uh, like the feathers of a raven his lips lushly red parted to reveal the teeth of a cannibal call me Fannin," the grinning apparition said richard Fannin. that's not exactly right maybe but i reckon it's close enough for government work and isn't Richard Fannin the name that Randall Flagg claims at the end of the stand? Uh
0: Richard Faraday, I think, is what Richard Richard Faraday, that's mm-hmm.
2: right. Um so yeah, it's just it's this weird little fun thing in here. And y- yeah, I, um, anyway. Th- and that's it. He like shows up and like r- says all his names and then leaves. hmm Um and then they're on the train. Getting ready to do a riddle off. hmm And they realize that uh,
0: basically Blaine is planning on killing himself and all of them.
2: Yep. And uh, and Blaine is not in the train. Like, uh, Blaine is a, he's a set of computers, uh, he's stored in the computers under LUD. hmm And so, like, there's something weird going on with that, too, but... Uh, but yeah, they like Roland and him have like a fun little standoff a little bit. And then they decide, let's do some riddling, And, uh, and they make a deal, which is that, uh, Roland, uh, they will have a riddle off. And if they can stump Blaine, then Blaine will not kill them. Mm hmm. that's it.
0: Yep. And they're heading toward Topeka.
2: Yeah, they're going, they're going to go through the train route is Ludd, Candleton, Riley, Rileya, which is, relay that's the uh lovecraftiana thing right? yeah the falls of the hounds dasherville and then Topeka. Mm-hmm. which is notable um and uh it's gonna take about eight hours and then straight up the book says so cried the voice of blaine cast your nets wanderers try me with your questions and let the contest begin and that's the end of the goddamn book mm-hmm Jesus. And then Stephen King apologizes for that.
3: Yep. <laughs>
2: good stuff. Yep. Here, There's a clarification that happens here too that I'm not sure is earlier in the book that is in this little afterward. It's just a couple pages. This is King who says, The course of the next volume is still murky, although I can assure you that the business of Blaine the Mono will be resolved, and we will all find out a good deal more about Roland's life as a young man. And that we will be reacquainted with both the TikTok man and the puzzling figure Walter called the wizard or the ageless stranger. Uh, And so so I don't think he says his name is Walter earlier. No, he doesn't. And Walter is, of course, the man in black Mm -hmm. who uh, Roland is following across the desert. So we have this thing where it's like Walter is the man in black is Randall Flagg. Mm -hmm. That's only in the afterward, which is a weird thing to kind of drop there. Mm -hmm. But. I think it's only an after. I didn't catch it earlier, if it is there. That. That's
0: it. That's the book. That is the book. Uh, Want to do some segments? Let's do a segment, yeah. Uh, My favorite kingism is the segment where we take uh, some line, paragraph, phrase, something uh, about the book that we just read that we think is like a, a sterling example of some kinging in prose. Uh, and so for my money here, uh, there is a bit where when Jake is in the empty lot where he sees the rose that he understands in some way as like maybe a gateway or representative of the tower, right? All of the suns are in, in the rose and everything. And there is also a, a great sickness at the center of the rose, which is the sickness at the center of the tower that, uh, you know, uh, Roland is on his quest to heal. Um, all this beautiful mes- metaphysical stuff, uh also in that empty lot is a bunch of graffiti. Uh one of the things that the graffiti says is Bango Skank was here. <laughs> and that's my kingism. I love the phrase Bango Skank was here.
2: It's a real kingism, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I I don't it's not a not not a uh a, a language thing, but it's in River Crossing where uh Roland throws that piece of stone or the piece of pavement up and hits that box. And it's revealed to be like an ancient, weird alternate world um, stoplight. Yes. Like an old. He like hits it like like ding, like kicks out. It's like a green light.
0: Yeah. Or a green flag. Yeah. It's like a a 19th century uh, stoplight that used um, a little levers and flags. Yeah. Right. I like that. It's good. Uh, what in the Kingaverse is the segment where we cover uh, connections between what we just read and the other books of Stephen King's oeuvre, either in in kind of like the Kingaverse as a setting, or maybe sometimes just like echoes, right? Meaningful echoes, and we've talked about this already quite a bit because this is this is a quite the Kingaverse book. Uh, the turtle from It is very strongly implied here to be one of the guardians of Roland's world. Uh, we even get the. Um, I think the repetition of the same rhyme, right? See the turtle of enormous girth upon his back. He holds the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there is a bit where Eddie has a dream. Um, and in that dream, he is holding a book and that book is the first book of the dark tower. It is the gunslinger. He flips it open and he reads the first line and it is the man in black fled across the desert. And the gunslinger followed, mm-hmm. uh, we get the uh not the first mention but maybe one of the most uh, extended discussions of the force of the white capital w uh from Jake uh when he feels like a force of goodness uh, and he thinks of it as the white we got a little bit of that in Salem's lot already and it's showed up maybe in in some other uh, sublimated ways but it's going to come back again uh Garland you already mentioned uh, uh the sort of world from Eyes of the Dragon or, or realm I should say.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh
0: there's also a character uh named Aaron Deepno who shows up. Uh that's actually a presentiment of something to come. We're going to get another character uh named Deepno and uh it is a question uh as to like what the significance of that repeated name is because that's the nature of of this type of thing where uh you suddenly have a a series of fictional worlds that are all like emanations of each other so what do these repetitions
2: uh or, or echoes mean yeah is that insomnia yes More deep no show yep it? okay and mm-hmm. deep no um yeah i think that i think insomnia has like several half characters like that i think there's more than one. Yeah. Oh, this one that you're about to read is wild uh when i when i came upon this in the book i was like holy shit yeah
0: uh <laughs> So the, the sex demon that they meet at the stone circle uh, gets v- briefly glimpsed uh, and is described physically as something like a manta ray, which is also the way that the uh, sort of primordial force that inhabits the Overlook Hotel in The Shining is described when it tries to, to flee when the hotel is burning down. It's described as a, a, a vast manta ray.
2: Yeah, the uh in here specifically, yeah, so it's like when the demon's done, they see it fly off, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like a giant manta ray with a wiener? Yep. It's like, Steve, you got him again. Uh-huh. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> we got it. We we understood. <laughs> we just just had sex with it for 50 pages. We I understand. <laughs> That it has a wiener, Steve. Uh-huh. You don't have to be like, and the, the the emanation of ultimate evil also had a dong hanging off of it. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Well, I, I know. A giant evil emanation of blackness came from the burning overlook and as it exploded from behind, they saw its wiener. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> uh... Uh, Randall Flagg shows up.
0: We already talked about that quite a bit, but uh, just to uh, hit it again, Randall Flagg mm-hmm. is here. Uh, and then the prime number puzzle that they have to solve to get Blaine to uh, leave his bay. Uh, the, the final number that they have to hit is 19, uh, which is going to become a an extremely important number in the Dark Tower books to come. Uh, this is kind of the first appearance of that.
2: Oh, yeah. And the... Uh the on being 19 mm-hmm. thing the essay that's on in all the ones after f- four or, you know, it was gone back and they reprinted when they reprinted the books after I think number five came out, they put this on being 19 essay mm-hmm. in it. So it, my it copy just of the book, before. Has,
0: it was with just the before. with the revised gunslinger.
2: Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your Um And also we didn't talk about it before, but there's the argument at the beginning too. And the way is that the last one had an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just basically summarizes what's happened so far. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uncle Stevie's mixtape is the segment where we go through all of the songs that were mentioned in uh, the book that we just read, and we review them as a mixtape from Uncle Stevie to us. Uh, I'll start it off. Uh, the first song we had was Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones, five stars.
2: Big classic. Mm-hmm. I got a Love to Love You Baby by Donna, Donna Summer. Four stars. great it's just a little log. that's the only uh only thing that's holding me down from five
0: uh i had dr love by kiss four stars
2: how's that not five stars what's 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 removing a star from dr love uh,
0: i just i've never been like it's weird right for someone who liked hard rock and heavy metal as much as i do i've never gotten kiss like, or I sort of get it, but I don't get it in the way that people who really get KISS seem to get KISS.
2: Uh-huh. So you're telling me you weren't a teenager in the 1970s? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh I had, to, if I had my way by Peter, Paul, and Mary, two stars. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, it's Peter, Paul, and Mary. Come on. If I had a hammer to hit myself in the head, then I wasn't <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary anymore.
3: woo <laughs> <laughs> woo
2: Uh... Led Zeppelin, the entire
0: band, uh, because it got mentioned, four stars. Because, again, I was not a teenager in the 70s. Stairway to Heaven, too long.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, no Stairway. <laughs> Denied. Please no Stairway. Uh, swingin' Medallions, Double Shot of My Baby Love. Have you heard this song? This, I think this has been on a
0: mixtape previously. Is that true? I think so. Cause like I, I, the swing medallions is such a distinctive band name. <laughs> I know I've read it before and I think this particular song, but I did, I listened to all of these when I was like double checking that they were songs that existed and were real and not like some songs from some fantasy bullshit world. Right. Right. <laughs> Cause that's, we're, we're running into that territory now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I did listen to this and it's, it's wild. <laughs>
2: It's, it's the wild it's basically like it's a rowdy song about I fuck too much uh-huh like in, in the way that uh twelve o'clock rock or whatever it is <laughs> that, uh-huh. that, that song is about uh uh that that you walk to the top of the stairs and you're too tired to fuck. This is about last night I fucked too much <laughs> and it's and it's impinging on my like ability to live. It's harming me <laughs> because <who> is my <laughs> baby love gave me too much. Someone who is good at the
0: economy, please help me fix this. <laughs>
2: right, truly. <laughs> I strongly encourage everyone to listen to The swinging Medallions, Double Shout of My Baby Love, just because it's, it's a wild song. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: five stars. Uh, swingin' Blue Jeans, uh, The Hippie Hippie Shakes. Uh, I give this three stars, not because it's bad, but because I feel like I heard this song. or it, This is like it's a cover version of a song from the 50s. It's like a part of the the eighties craze of like, you know, contemporary covers of classic fifties songs. Um, and this is the version that I remember hearing in like so many movies from the late eighties and early nineties. I just feel like I've heard it too much. So it's, it's fine. It's a good version of this song, I guess, but three stars. Wow.
2: Uh, getting downrated because of success. Uh, huh. I got the Virginia mountain boys clinch mountain breakdown one star. Jesus Christ,
0: Buffalo Gals, a traditional song. I give this two stars. I think they can stay in tonight.
2: I got a Darling Katie, and I have no idea what this song is. I couldn't find it. Oh, okay, maybe that's one of the ones from the alternate world. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't. Uh, I saw some like Katie Darlins, but that didn't seem right, so I didn't mm. bother. No rating. Okay. In in R. Mm, okay.
0: Uh, Velcro Fly by ZZ Top. Five stars.
2: <laughs> the amount of ZZ Top at the end of this is just great. It is. Uh, I got Sharp Dressed Man. This might be one of the greatest songs ever written. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Period. Five stars. No question. Like the the guitar riff in this thing. The the uh, like abs the the cover of this album being just like this you know classic car. Driving through the night. The whole thing is just the wildest shit. Right. Um, ZZ Top is just extremely weird to me. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Uh,
0: this is another traditional song uh, that Jake thinks about. I think it's maybe like a nursery rhyme or something. It's called My Gal's a Corker. Uh, and I couldn't find any good version of this. The one that I've linked in the show doc, uh, Cameron, is actually a group of Scottish school children singing it. Why are they doing that? I don't know. Did Do they um, The Dark Tower? I guess Uh, this is an album of like Scottish school children, like singing playground songs.
2: This is awful.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Why are they
2: making Illuminati symbols? I don't know.
0: It's everything about this is weird. This is some real Dark Tower stuff is what I'm getting at. Um, I don't know. Two stars like the the joke of the song. It's like it's pretty corny. The joke of the song is like my girlfriend is so great. uh, She makes me spend a lot of money.
2: My girlfriend is so great. She makes me spend a lot of money. Bom, bom. That's my ZZ Top version of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I got another ZZ Top. I got Tube Snake Boogie, which I, is Tube Snake Boogie. The, uh, the drums of Tube Snake Boogie are what... The the pubes are sacrificing each other, too, right? No. uh, Or is that Velcro fly?
0: I think Eddie Eddie can't really tell. This is the reason there's so much ZZ Top is because (laughs) Eddie's like, I'm pretty sure this drum track is from a ZZ Top song. And then he names like a bunch of them. Um, I think he settles on Velcro fly.
2: Gotcha. Tuesday Boogie is a fine song, but uh, I don't think it's like top tier ZZ Top. I think it's a good solid three stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, before we we talk about the next book, I I want to because I dug up some reviews. Okay. And I want to read the Library Journal's 1992 at a glance review. Please do. Uh, Because the the Library Journal does these, they're micro reviews. They're what, 50 words or something, maybe? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the idea is like if you are a librarian and you're making picks about what to purchase, this is like a little micro review to give you an idea of what the book is, you know, especially back. Uh, When, like, you know, the Internet is not an easy way of, like, figuring out infinite amounts of information. You got to, like, get a physical journal, you know, that gets mailed to you that tells you about the books that are coming out this year. Uh, Okay. Uh, Stephen King Wastelands, The Dark Tower, Book 3, 422 pages, illustrated in the Dark Tower series, Plume, 1991, paperback, $15. YA. Uh Uh-huh. Flagged uh, as YA. uh Uh-huh. Which is notable. Uh, the third installment in the offbeat fantasy saga involving the enigmatic Roland, the last gunfighter, and his quest for the Dark Tower. While the story, inspired by Robert Browning's narrative poem Child Roland to the Dark Tower came, is entertaining, what really makes it outstanding are King's unique, multifaceted characters. This is Stephen King at his best. The Last Gunfighter. Yep. (laughs) All right. I want to read another one, too. It's a little bit longer, but it is just as entertaining. This is a Kirkus reviews, which has a similar kind of function. You know, they're they're short reviews that are kind of at a glance. What's this about?
3: Mm -hmm. It's
2: from 92. Chapter three of Kings epic alternate world saga. uh, 88, 89. That's the giving us the previous publications finds Roland the Gunslinger and his sidekicks continuing their quest for the Dark Tower and the main master keyboarding some of his least restrained writing in years. Great sagging storm clouds of padded prose that only occasionally thunder or brighten with lightning inspiration. The storyline by now is so complex that King opens with a four-page argument summing up past action and tracing ties between major characters. The argument for Volume 4 won't be much longer since relatively little happens here. (laughs) Trains Eddie Dean and Susanna Walker, previously brought to him by, uh, from Manhattan to his blighted world, in the arts of gunslinging, soon used to slay a giant mechanical bear named Shardick. Jay, the boy, the boy whom Roland let die in Volume 1, reappears as a Gotham school kid who makes his way through a haunted house into Roland's world. The band of four encounter a count of old folks, then a wasted city where Jake is kidnapped by degenerates, then rescued. Roland and company take a ride toward the dark tower on a train operated by an insane computer, enamored of riddles in a note. King admits that quote, finding the doors to Roland's world has never been easy for me. Unquote. The strain is evident with the volume <laughs> seemingly Jerry built on borrowings, the haunt, the hoary haunted house, the mad computer echoing *Howl* of 2001, the wasted city and its criminal denizens shades of escape from New York and overblown character conflicts. Can Eddie summon the courage to cross the swaying bridge? <laughs> Still, some of the action cooks up shivery suspense, and Roland's anticipated duel of riddles with the homicidal computer promises a swift start to the next volume. Hopefully it won't take any more slack interlude volumes for Roland to reach the Dark Tower. Meanwhile, though confirmed series fans might at least tolerate this chapter and buy up its 1.5 million first printing on sale December 2nd, the generic King fan will enjoy far more of the upcoming needful things
0: okay interesting so december would have been when that would be the mass market then
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah this is for the paperback publication yeah uh what uh but the i the reason i it's a little bit long but the reason i wanted to read it is that we've talked a little bit before about like the way that king gets treated by the literary establishment but we don't really read or like give strong quotations from that and i just happened to you know kirkus reviews being the the core of the core like book booksellers nonsense you know the you know it's speaking internally to a a crowd of book people Mm -hmm. and i think this is like a very good summation of the way that king gets treated which is like he's recycling a bunch of shit from other work uh you know not a lot happens it's a little bit boring oh golly gee whiz maybe go check out a different book you know that's the the way it kind of Mm -hmm. is being written about here um And those are really kind of the only two reviews I could find contemporarily. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't look like the major national papers. Any of them reviewed it. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, uh, we'll talk more about reviews with our next book because I am under the impression that it reviewed very badly. Contrary to uh, what Kirkus just said, go read Needful Things instead. Uh, I have read some stuff that indicated that Needful Things was received pretty badly at the time.
2: Whew. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll say I haven't reread it yet and I haven't started it yet. I've got it here on the desk, but I haven't, mm-hmm. uh, haven't started. And I will say that when I, I've only read it one time and I didn't like it. Mm. I just remember it being basically about the fucking Crypt Creek, Crypt Keeper <laughs> bothering everyone in town. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I remember. Um... I mean, that's sort of right. <laughs> and the fact I'll, I'll, I'll get into this on the next episode, but not one, but two separate thrift stores opened in my hometown, both named Needful Things in oh. the early 2000s.
0: Oh, my God. Yep. Well, uh, King calls it uh, a satire, so that's maybe something to keep in mind, is that he understood it as a satire, or at least in a later interview interview said that he saw it as a satire, and that's something that people didn't pick up on, so that's a conversation we'll have uh, next month here on Just King Things.
1: I'm
2: curious about that.
1: (laughs) But, uh,
2: alright. Let's
0: see. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, until then, Cameron, uh, what's up? Why is this happening? Uh, we're doing it for Steve.